0: Diakonas a cop's calling, is a proud affiliate of Audible. Right now, you can go to audibletrial.com slash to get a free 30-day trial. I personally have an Audible membership and absolutely love it. Audible is my go-to way to take in a book. As a family, we use Audible on long trips to listen to books with the kids, and I personally use it when I'm driving, doing yard work, or have some downtime. Currently, I'm listening to 12 Seconds in the Dark, a police officer's first-hand account of the Breonna Taylor raid by John Mattingly, the sergeant who was shot during the Breonna Taylor raid. It is excellent. Highly recommend it. Audible offers thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, including this one, plus much more. As an affiliate, Diakonos of Cop's Calling gets a commission for each newly generated trial through the link provided. You get a free 30-day trial right now. Just go to audibletrial.com slash diakonosacc. This link will also be included in the podcast episode description and can also be found on the podcast website at diakonosacc.com. Diakonos, A Cops Calling is supported by The Lancaster Patriot. The Lancaster Patriot is a conservative newspaper serving Lancaster County, Pennsylvania and beyond. If you are tired of liberal bias in your local newspaper, then you need to switch to The Lancaster Patriot right now. The Lancaster Patriot is not ashamed to stand on biblical truth and defend traditional values. Their newspaper includes local stories from Lancaster County, local sports, state, national, and international stories. They even have faith and perspective sections that apply the scripture to our culture. This is not a newspaper that will win any liberal or woke awards, but it will bring you the news free from corporate agendas and government talking points. Subscribe to the Lancaster Patriot today and get a real print newspaper delivered right to your door every single week. I am a proud subscriber of the Lancaster Patriot, and you can join me. As a fan of Diakonos at Cops Calling, you can get a discounted subscription right now. Use promo code Diakonos, that's D-I-A-K-O-N-O-S, and receive $15 off your first year's subscription. Sign up online at thelancasterpatriot.com or call 717-370-7508. Again, enter code DIACONAS and save $15 on your first year subscription to local, honest, and conservative news. Visit www.thelancasterpatriot.com for more information or call them at 717-370-7508. DIACONAS A COP'S CALLING is sponsored by Iron Shirt Barbecue Company. Iron Shirt Barbecue is a barbecue caterer that is family-owned by Glenn and Kendra Stoltzfus. Glenn is also a past guest of the podcast, appearing on episode 5 of season 1. Ironshirt Barbecue Company is a barbecue caterer focused on serving fresh, handcrafted barbecue and sides from their home to your event. Glenn has been obsessed with cooking slow-smoked, mouth-watering, tender barbecue for 15 years. The focus is on freshness and every sticky rib, tender slice of brisket, and bite of juicy pulled pork is cut, pulled, or sliced fresh at your event. Every cut of meat is dry rubbed and smoked with wood and natural charcoal for hours. Sauce is on the side and only there to complement the meat, not overwhelm it. Kendra makes all the sides by hand from scratch using only the freshest available ingredients. Their mac and cheese is loaded with gouda and sharp cheddar. The baked beans are swimming in bacon and brown sugar and the creamy slaw has a secret ingredient that will keep you up at night wondering what could possibly bless the slaw with such amazing flavor. I have had the absolute pleasure of having barbecue prepared by Iron Shirt Barbecue. Hands down, it is the best barbecue I've ever eaten. Glenn has been perfecting his craft for years, and he has the skills, tools, and team to provide the best barbecue experience for your event. Book them right now for your wedding, family reunion, graduation, birthday party, or simple cookout. Their food will make you happy. Check out Iron Shirt Barbecue Company on Facebook and Instagram to see their menu, photos of their amazing food, and contact information for booking. You will not be disappointed. And if you mention that you heard about Iron Shirt Barbecue Company on the Diakonas A Cops Calling podcast, you will get a 10% discount on your order. Iron Shirt Barbecue Company needs to be the caterer for your next event. Check out Iron Shirt Barbecue Company right now on Facebook and Instagram to learn more and get booking information. Then mention you heard about them on Diakonas A Cops Calling podcast and you will get a 10% discount on your order
1: this podcast is for grown-ups only whoa
0: whoa whoa we need a stronger warning for this episode
1: this episode definitely has bad words
0: what does it have
1: bad
2: words
0: and what else does it have
2: and content that is not for little ears i remember like back when i first started even even when i was amateur um, wearing like a big heavy coat into, to my weigh-in and putting, <laughs> putting like three pound dumbbells in to be able to make, to make weight. I remember her walking me to where it happened, mm-hmm. um, to take pictures. And like, to me, it was just like, it was, it was something that was like, actually like most like I was like holding back tears, like walking with her. So if you're doing things that way, um, if you're just targeting females, you're, you're inevitably lowering your standards. That's what you're doing. Not, not that the female is specifically the, the lowered standard, but if you're only targeting females, you're inevitably missing other people that have value.
0: This is Diakonas, A Cops Calling. I'm Anthony Weaver, and I am very, very pumped for this episode. Gary Lowe and I sat down with Detective Jessica Higgins to talk about her career uh, and women in law enforcement. It's just a very honest, frank, uh, and I believe eye-opening talk about the role women play in law enforcement and, and our take on them doing the work. That's coming up very soon. And I think you'll really enjoy listening to, to Jess talk about her life, her career, and yeah, her opinions on, on women in law enforcement. Um, as we approach the middle of the summer, the podcast will be on break for most of July. Gary and I will release one episode the first Tuesday of July. Uh, That being low expectations, take five, but then the podcast will be on summer break for the rest of the month, unless, unless you're a patron on Friday, July 8th, I will be recording a live episode with past guest Al. If you remember Al uh, from season one, he shared his testimony of God's work in his life during episodes 10 and 11 uh, during that season, season one. Uh, If you haven't heard that, or you're new to the podcast. Um, go back and listen to those two episodes, episode 10 and episode 11, season one. Uh, Al shared his testimony, amazing testimony of, of his life, how God brought him out of a life of crime uh, and turned his life around. Uh, one of the two of the most popular episodes I've recorded uh, so far on this podcast. So make sure you check those out. Uh, if you have heard him, then you know uh, what those episodes were about and how cool they were. Uh, he's going to be on a live episode. Um, and, uh, that episode, again, it's going to be Friday, July 8th. He's going to join me live. Uh, and if you're a patron, you're going to have access to that episode, as you know, or, or maybe you don't know, this podcast is supported in many ways by patron listeners. If you want to know more about the patron program, you can go to www.diakonosacc.com and hit the support tab every quarter. Uh, I do a live episode for my patrons. That's one of the perks of being a patrons. and that's and this is how it works. If you're a patron who gives ten or more dollars a month, you can take an active part in the live episodes and you can chat or call in live and talk to me and my guests during that episode. If you're a patron uh, who gives five dollars or more uh, per month, uh, you you can't interact live with that episode, but you get access to. Uh, those recordings right after those episodes are over. And so it is with July 8th. If you are a patron who gives $10 or more per month, you'll be able to engage with myself and Al live. If you don't give uh, that much per month, you can still listen to that episode after it's recorded. Every single patron um, also gets access to a patron prize drawing. And our first prize drawing of of this year of the season uh, will be Uh, on that live episode coming up July 8th with Al. So if you love the podcast or you believe in its mission, uh, please consider being a patron supporter and getting access to prizes um, and more content and and chances to interact with me and my guests on these live episodes. Again, more information on that can be found at www.diakonosacc.com. Hit the support tab and there you will see a link uh, to the patron program. Love to have you join on as a patron uh, who supports the podcast monthly, and if you do it right now, you can get access to the next live episode on July 8th with Al. All right, lastly here, before we get into our conversation with Detective Higgins, I'm going to get after the so woke, it's broke. Much of the content in this part of the episode is from lawofficer.com, 60minutes, vicenews.com, dailywire, sanfranciscostandard.com. This episode, So Woke, It's Broke, comes with a silver lining. Uh, San Francisco District Attorney uh, Chesa Boudin has enacted policies so woke voters recently broke him, uh, voting to recall him because they are so fed up with how his policies and lack of action against criminals are destroying their lives and businesses. San Francisco, as you most likely know, is one of the most liberal cities in the United States. Um, and they are saying, we are done with District Attorney Boudin. Uh, a whopping 61% of voters voted in favor of recalling Boudin. Uh, so who is this Boudin fellow? As, as part of So Woke It's Broke, I wanted to uh, shine a light on uh, District Attorney Boudin and, and what he's been doing. And his story is really like so many other woke progressive DAs that have been put in place around the US. District Attorney Boudin took office in January 2020. Uh, before that, he was a defense attorney, and just uh, and just like District Attorney Gaskin and DA Krasner, along with approximately 18 other district attorneys across the country, he was financially supported by uh, George Soros, the the billionaire, uh, very liberal, progressive uh, billionaire who who is giving money to these DAs and really trying to change uh, law enforcement and and reform. Uh, reform the system, as they like to say. He is the son of David Gilbert. Uh, This is District Attorney uh, Boudin. He is the son of David Gilbert and Kathy Boudin, who were members of a terrorist organization. Uh, That terrorist organization being the Weather Underground, which was active in the 60s through the 80s. This group was responsible for all types of crime, including murder, robbery, and bombings. In 1981, as part of this group, Boudin's parents took part in a robbery of a Brinks truck that resulted in a guard and two police officers being shot to death. Boudin's father spent 40 years in prison before getting paroled out and released at the end of 2021. Uh, For her role in the robbery and murders, Boudin's mother spent more than 20 years in prison. This is where it gets wild. While Boudin's parents were in prison, he was raised by Bill Ayers. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you, it may be because during President Obama's campaign, um, he took a lot of heat about his level of friendship with Bill Ayers, who was the leader of this Weather Underground domestic terrorist group that Boudin's parents were part of. Uh, now listen, no one no one can pick his or her family, so I want to be clear that Boudin is not guilty of anything by association uh, because his parents and Bill Ayers who raised him was part of this terrorist organization, but it's not a far stretch to realize that he grew up with and was raised by people that hated the government and engaged in serious crime. That's what he was exposed to as a small child and into adulthood. And if you listen to him speak, his far left views are driven by his parents being in prison and how that affected him. He speaks as someone who views himself as a victim of the system, which locked his parents away. Uh, He has numerous interviews uh, and public speeches. He clearly states this um, and that it drove him to his activism. He claims the system failed to meet the needs of those harmed and failed to meet his needs. My response to that is that all people have needs. All people have some level of hardships and problems they encounter. Every single person does not have a perfect life. They have problems and they have hardships that they encounter. No one has a perfect life. But if the government begins ranking the needs of people who murder, rob, and maim above the needs of those who do not, they cease to carry out their mandate. Again, a mandate. And command that is laid out in the Bible, but is not being followed in our culture. Again, a mandate laid out in passages like Romans 13, 3-5 and 1 Peter 2-14. When Boudin took office as DA, he fired the head prosecutor of both the gang and homicide units and then fired several other prosecutors. Again, just like many other progressive DAs that were put in office. He got rid of cash bail and went full bore into diversion program-heavy policy push to include allowing defendants with kids to get their cases dismissed if they completed the diversion programs. Boudin has enacted policy to not seek charges for contraband found during pretextual stops. Uh, Those are stops usually for a minor violation but with intent to investigate suspected criminal activity. Any type of stop like that, no charges for contraband. At the same time he made this announcement, he also stated that he would not charge or seek status enhancement enhancements which increase jail sentences for gang memberships or repeat offenders that are arrested. All of this done because Boudin believes the police are racist and he wishes to diminish racial disparity. If you look at his track record and his quotes, you can see that he has no interest in holding criminals accountable. Now to be fair, San Fran was already on that track before he took office, but he doubled down on the idea and pushed an even further leftist woke ideology, which seeks to bend over backwards to help criminals. Since, he's, since he took office, again in 2020, uh, burglaries went up 45% and homicides went up 37%. He's quoted as saying by incarcerating someone who is homeless or addicted or who suffers from mental health challenges, we only further destabilize that person and create situations where they are more likely to commit crimes in the future. Obviously, you know, as I've said before, being homeless or having mental health problems is not a crime. But many of those engaged in criminal behavior have these problems. Being homeless does not mean you can defecate on the sidewalk, set up your tents on the sidewalk to push parents and kids onto the street to get around you, engage in open air drug use and sales, harass people, steal, etc. And I'm not exaggerating. All these things are rampant right now in San Francisco. In one interview, when he was asked, Uh, what he would say to citizens of San Francisco, who say that the quality of life is going down. He totally disregarded their concern and talks about the quality of life of criminals, citing addiction, mental health, homelessness, and how putting people in prison is not going to solve the problem. And he wants to get to the root problem. Well, what is the root problem? I I wish a reporter, I wish I would have heard a reporter ask that follow-up question to District Attorney Boudin. What is the root problem? While mental health and homelessness are not crimes, again, I'll say it again, much crime is attached to those things. I can speak from experience of my prior experience working in an urban setting with a fairly large homeless population. There were several members of the homeless population that never caused anyone to call the police. Why? Because they weren't committing crime. They weren't harassing people. They weren't doing nuisance things. But many of the people among the homeless population are doing these things. Many in the homeless population have literally burned all their bridges, refusing to abide by any rules established by shelters and seeking to do nothing to improve their circumstances. The police come across them every single day. The only way to break that cycle is to incarcerate them when they break the law, and then while they are incarcerated and maybe gaining days of sobriety and thinking more clearly, help them get access to assistance they may need. Oftentimes, removing criminals from the temptations of their surroundings may help if they want the help. People do it all the time. People who realize they need to move away from a certain area to get away from certain locations, people, or readily accessible substances in order to do better for themselves. Consequ- consequences with help is what we need to look at. And, and, and to be fair, I've even had, um, like I think of my past guest, guest Alex Szymanski, She was on and she talked about that, how getting incarcerated actually helped clear her mind enough to help her start thinking a little differently. We look at incarceration as such a negative thing. It is punishment and discipline for committing a crime. And in doing that, it also can be used to establish some level of help for people and begin to help them to get to a state of mind and soberness where they can actually accept that help and and go in a different direction. Incarceration is meant to change behavior. If it doesn't change behavior, it doesn't mean the system is broken. It means the person is broken. The person is making decisions to not change behavior and continues to make decisions that land them back in jail. Now, for sure, mental health, homelessness, uh, you know, substance abuse can play into that, but they're still against the law and they should be punished. And, and incarcerated, if, they, if, if the crime they committed calls for incarceration, they should be incarcerated. And then once they're incarcerated, those help that help and those, those resources should be given to them. But you can't take away the consequences and only focus on trying to help. You have to use them together. You must bring discipline. You must bring a punishment for the crime and then offer the help with it if they want to accept it. You cannot take away punishment. For crime. It's not right and it's not biblical. Boudin has made it clear that the enforcing of law is not his priority. He has said that, quote, tough on crime policies and rhetoric of the 90s and early 2000s are on their way out, end quote. He's made promises to not charge quality of life crimes like, quote, public camping, offering or soliciting sex, public urination, blocking a sidewalk, end quote. Not going to charge them. Not going to charge quality of life crimes. That might be all fine and dandy for his posh neighborhood where he lives, but this type of policies, these types of policies mean absolute misery for people living in certain parts of the city and people who are trying to make a living and run a business. Boudin has also famously stated that he wants the police to, quote, bring me kilos, not crumbs, end quote. He continually talks down to the police, stating that they need not arrest street-level dealers that only possess A few grams of drugs. Oh man, several misconceptions. Several misconceptions here um, shown by Boudin, which I guess could be expected from a defense attorney pretending to be a DA. Uh, First, street-level drug dealing is one of the primary factors driving violent crime in cities. If you hit that hard, you will affect violent crime in a positive way. Again, I speak from experience on that, as my time on street-level drug unit absolutely impacted violent crime. The work we did in that unit, first of all, gained copious amounts of intel about violent crime, removed violent felons from the street, and over and over again, our, quote, crumb type investigations, as Boudin calls them, were directly related to preventing violence and also preventing the death of users who were buying dope that could kill them as a result of an overdose. Secondly, how do you think you get the kilos, Mr. Boudin? He must believe that the police somehow magically can find this stuff out without doing investigations at the street level. That, that intel at the street level is paramount to these bigger investigations. Third, if Mr. Boudin believes arresting street dealers is not enough and doesn't make a difference, then don't allow them to operate with impunity, but instead enable some reform and start bringing back hefty mandatory sentences and consequences that force these dealers to gamble with years of their life behind bars if they want to sell quote-unquote crumbs. Ridiculous. Coddling and ignoring criminal behavior will not solve the problem. It will not end the problem. It will not reform the problem. I mean, I've used the parenting example before, and I'll use it here again. If my kids are out of control and misbehaving and throwing tantrums and causing havoc and unrest in my home, I should look no further than my parenting skills. If I allow it, they will continue. If I want crazy, if I want havoc, if I want disrespect, if I want no peace, If I want no order in my home, well, they can have that. All I have to do is not follow the Bible as it pertains to child rearing and try to try my kiddie diversionary programs, and boom, I'll have a microcosm of what is happening in our cities in my own home. And sadly, that that is happening in many homes. This is probably the craziest and most disheartening information I found on Boudin. And that is, in 2021, Boudin obtained three drug convictions. You heard me, three none of them were for dealing fentanyl. None. But nearly 500 people died from fentanyl overdoses in San Francisco in 2021. The excuse? Diversionary programs were a focus and the desire to keep criminals out of jail during COVID. I'm sorry, but if you sell drugs and you go to prison and you die of COVID, that is a natural consequence of your actions. Is a drug dealer's quality of life and his needs more important than that of the person he is dealing to who may die of an overdose is a criminal's quality of life and needs more important than that of a law abiding resident and business owner trying to do life amongst this garbage i'm not asking if their life is more important or if they matter any less to god i'm asking if their needs and quality of life should be lifted higher than that of the overdose victim and that of the person who is seeking to do right brodeen also cited immigration issues the lack of convictions because he didn't want people getting deported. Many of the charges brought were against Honduran nationals, um, so charges were reduced so that the suspects could still maintain a road to citizenship instead of getting deported. This is sickening. Coming from another country and engaging in crime should get you deported. Why? Because the majority of people coming from other countries to this amazing country are doing the right thing, and they're not selling drugs. But let's praise the criminal. Boudin loves to point the finger at the police. I've watched many of his interviews uh, as I got ready for this episode, uh, many of his interviews with him, and one of his main talking points is that he can only prosecute what the police bring him. He claims that 92% of the crime in San Francisco is not solved. I don't know if that's true, but if it is, blame lies partially at his feet. Because what's the point of solving crime if he won't seek proper consequences and sentences? If he releases people immediately, if he did his job, the repeat offenders would not be contributing to the alleged 92% of crime that is, being, is, that is not being solved. DA Boudin has made it clear that he does not care about the citizens of San Francisco, only the criminals. Um, in the case of a 17-year-old defendant who shot and killed a 6-year-old, Boudin refused to try to defend it as an adult, something he could have and should have done. Instead, trying the 17-year-old as a juvenile, which limited his sentencing guidelines and saw the killer get a measly seven-year sentence, which absolutely crushed the family of the victim. Again, the reason I do this segment is to do the work and shed the light on what is going on in this country when it comes to criminal reform. For many, it is a code phrase to lift high the criminal. It is a desire to lower standards. Instead of saying, hey, the majority of people are not engaged in crime, are not engaged in dealing poison are not engaged in hurting or killing people. And we expect you to do the same thing. We expect you to act in a certain way because the majority expect it. The majority do it. Instead of that, these liberal DAs are saying, no, let's lower the standard. Let's get people to be okay with crime. To be okay with being in fear when they walk to their house or their business. To be okay with chaos and crime and havoc. These DAs work for the criminal. It is mind-blowing and a bright light needs to be shed on it. So D.A. Boudin is this week's So Woke It's Broke Man of the episode. What is amazing is that quite possibly the voters in the quite possibly most liberal city in the United States voted to recall him. Huge, absolutely huge. And I hope those voters in other cities with similar D.A.s do the exact same thing. If you listen to this humble little podcast and you're a voter in an area with a woke D.A., get after it. Send a message that you expect higher standards. You live by a law-abiding standard and vote in such a way that holds your politicians and DA to those standards. To uphold the law in a way that praises the one who does the right thing and holds wrath for those who don't. All right, my rant is done. I don't really know how to transition. <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't really know how to transition. But you know, at the end there, we're talking about standards and not lowering our standards, keeping high standards. Um, and, and we talk about that. Gary Lowe and I talk with Detective Jess Higgins um, about hiring standards um, and, and, and where they're at for women compared to men. And we also talk um, about her career. Great conversation. So buckle up for that great conversation right now. My guest for this episode is Detective Jessica Higgins with the Lancaster City Bureau of Police. Detective Higgins has been a police officer for over 14 years, serving as a patrol officer and now a detective in the Special Investigations Unit. She's here to talk about what led her to be a police officer, her career, and her perspective on women in law enforcement. Jess is here on her own volition and not representing her police department. Her comments and opinions are her own. Jess, thanks for coming on the, on the uh, show. How are you doing?
2: Um, I'm fantastic. Thank Great. you for having me.
0: I guess I also got to intro Gary here. He's, he's on this episode with us. Yeah, in another room.
2: Hey, Gary. Hey, hey, you, Jess! Can you hear me over good to, there?
0: Good to see you in the studio. Heyo. I'm like three rooms over. <laughs> Let me ask you a question: uh, Why is Gary here, Jess?
2: Um, so I am not here, possibly this sounds entertaining. Like a right here, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not entertaining enough to talk to you for the amount of time that you need for this show. So I need somebody that's like a little silly. They can make things funny and entertaining, whereas I can't. So that's a compliment to you, Gary.
3: It seems like a lot of pressure put on me. (laughs) I don't even know why I'm here. No, I think- This is a hostile takeover of your show is what what it is. I think the, what, you and Jess are going to try to take No, just me. I I mean, Jess could do it too, but like, I don't think I need her help.
0: Okay. Well, my understanding is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jess. Okay. You were a little nervous about coming on. We talked about maybe having Lauren on- to give you a little bit of you know just that female camaraderie and then you came up with the idea you were like what if gary comes on because you guys work together and i was like yeah sure that'd be awesome
2: right i tend to i think uh kind of like hamper what i say a little bit when i'm around um women i don't want to offend them i guess um so i think that i can easily offend gary and it's okay. Um, cause I probably offend him several times a day.
4: <laughs>
0: I will, I will say, I, think you're I will say this. Um, I appreciate that. Like I, I, I can, I can, uh, uh, appreciate what you're saying there. I don't think you would offend Lauren. Um, I don't know. She's not very offendable, but
2: no, I've never found all, her that way at all. All no.
0: that to, all that to say, um, yeah, when you, when you came out with the idea of having Gary on, I was like, no, that'd be cool because you guys work together, you know, each other well. And I was like, yeah. Do it. Let's and do it. Everybody
3: realizes that Gary has nothing better to do with his life.
0: <laughs> well, obviously not, because you're you're on here. You, we got low expectations coming up. Um, you know that you come on every month and record. So yeah, whatever. I, I'm glad you're here. I did hear a funny story about uh, Gary and you. So you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, Gary. Literally, my outline says we're going to make fun of you
3: for this. Oh yeah, let's five do it. Minutes. Let's do it. Can I make <laughs> so, fun of myself?
0: Well.
2: Oh, is this, is this related to his back?
3: Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh, my weight loss story.
2: Well, because Gary. Motivational let's, weight let, loss. like, I'm just going to throw out there. Gary was, Gary was thrown
0: on a little weight. Gary liked to eat nachos a lot after shifts. Dude, and nachos, and then I had to follow
3: it up with something sweet, remember? <laughs> some some, some ice, ice cream, Ice
2: cream. Dude. Like a pint of ice cream, like oh, a yeah. big thing. Yeah, so big Gary, plan.
0: Gary was thrown on some weight, but um, some, you know, I'm, I'm sure his wife was talking to him about his weight, or maybe she wasn't, but. Uh, you, you mentioned something to him. Can you break down that story? Because I think this helped him. I don't know. It shed some light on his. On
2: so listen, his I car. don't even recall this. So I don't remember how I offended Gary exactly. She can't
3: remember because she got hit by a car. <laughs> like You can't bring up stuff from her I know, that's rude past. of you.
2: Um, but from what I'm told, um, Gary was like washing dishes in our sink, you know, in our office or whatever after lunch. And I made a comment about how I could climb on his, climb up his back fat. Um,
0: cause they created like steps. Yeah. Cause yeah, it like was steps like steps or like steps, ladder like rings or whatever. <laughs> cause and- I was in a t-shirt.
3: <laughs> <laughs> like a white t shirt. I took my like dress First, shirt off. Why?
0: Why did you have your dress shirt off to do dishes in your
3: office? It, I, it was hot. Like, it was warm out. So, like, I.
0: It was like a, a housekeeping situation. Yeah. It was okay. clearly So, you, you were taking the housekeeping situation to the next level. You were. You were. You,
3: you went down to short sleeves. It's surprising at how many times I've taken my shirt off at work.
0: Yeah. I, f- I feel like you shared a story about that another time. Probably during COVID and stuff when everyone was bored. Um, <laughs> Anyways, Jess, I'm glad you're here. Gary, I'm also glad you're here because, you know, I love you. Um, But uh, yeah, we want to, I think this is going to be a good episode because, Jess, you're the first uh, woman police officer I've had on. Can I say woman? Am I allowed to say woman right now?
3: What is a woman?
0: (laughs) Anyways, so you're the first female police officer I've had on the episode, um, on an episode, and. yeah, I think we just want to have like a frank conversation about women in law enforcement. I definitely want to talk to you about your career, but I also want to talk to you just about your perspective about women in law enforcement. Um, hopefully, <clears throat> I don't offend too many people. And uh, if I offend you, like hopefully we get some good banter going and and you can, uh, you know, punch me in the face. Oh, we'll face. talk
2: it out. It's okay. We'll talk it out. <laughs> no, this is a lot of pressure though. The, the first female uh, on your show.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, other than a female police officer. Okay. Yeah. Lauren, Lauren's been on a couple times, but, you know, she's my wife, so that's, that's pretty... She was obligated. She was yeah, obligated. Yeah. She did not want to be on. Uh, so, but yeah, no, I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a perspective that, yeah, I just haven't had on the podcast yet, so I think it'll, it'll be good. But um, before we get into that, I always like to kind of go back to you know, where you grew up, how you grew up, and um, what made you get into law enforcement. So, did you grow up locally here in Lancaster County or elsewhere?
2: I did grow up locally, uh, Conestoga. Um, My life story is super boring. (laughs) Um, There there wasn't much, you know, we were kind of a modest to low-income family, I would say. Um, And I had one sister and... um, it was not much going on, you know, my childhood that was really super mar- remarkable, I I don't think.
0: So when did you start thinking about getting into law enforcement then?
2: Um probably like maybe like teenage years something like that, like when I was really tossing around like things to do, but I don't think I seriously thought about it um until like after I was out of high school.
0: Okay. And was there a reason that you started to think about it or You just were just trying to figure out, like, what made you think, like, oh, maybe I should get into law enforcement?
2: So I always knew about myself that I was not going to be a person, which is kind of ironic, Gary, because now we sit at a desk and do nothing. But I always.
0: That's not true. (laughs) I know Um, what you guys do. That's not true.
2: But I always knew about myself that I wasn't a person that wanted to sit at a desk and do do nothing. I wanted to be moving around and stuff like that. Um, so when I started, like when I graduated high school, um, actually shortly before, um, I started kind of moving down a a path towards like, you know, maybe a nursing career. Um, so I did like the nursing assistant gig. Um, and I was like, oh, if I like this for a few years, then I'll, then I'll go and I'll get my RN. Um, and I realized very quickly that I really hated that job (laughs) and that, um, it just, Healthcare, just what i think it was probably because i was working with elderly people maybe if i had worked with a different you know group or something it would have been different um but it just it just wasn't for me and it wasn't what i was looking for so um then i eventually um started seeking out other things and i was like i want to work for lancaster city
0: so you you specifically wanted to work for lancaster city you did you apply anywhere else or that was just your main goal work for lancaster city
2: i wanted to work for the city why um well because i was local um, and I wanted to stay local. I had no intentions of like moving anywhere, um, but I always wanted to be somewhere that was like fast paced and I was always moving around. I guess it's probably like the ADD in me or something like I always wanted to be moving and doing something different. Right,
0: right. So and and uh, when you were in, I guess, in high school or when you were younger and then in high school, you you were into boxing. You actually were a professional boxer. Um, can you t- can you talk about that? How you got into boxing? So
2: Yeah, so. Um, probably like third grade, fourth grade-ish, um, a, as like a peer of mine at school, um, had started taking karate and I was like, oh, that would be really cool. Like that's something I want to do. So I told my dad that I wanted to take karate. Um, and my sister got involved and it was this thing, like it was this whole like family event that we would do. Um, and like, I think we're all kind of a little bit OCD. So we, like, we got, we dove right into it. It was like hours, hours of our life was spent on this. so eventually, um, probably this, a couple years go by.
0: Sorry, not to cut you off, but this is probably why you and Gary get along, because Gary is very OCD, I think. Like, yeah, he like, gets fixated on something, and then he just doesn't let go of it. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole family is um, in this thing.
2: My, my dad, my sister, and I, yeah. um, we're all in it. Um, and so a couple years go by, and we, my dad and I start to c- progress towards being interested in boxing. My dad had boxed in the Navy. Um, okay. so that was something like that he had known from his time in the Navy. Um, so my sister kind of branched off and went into dancing. So my dad and I made fun of her and the dancing, you know, all the little girls dancing and the baton throwers and all that shit. And then, um, we went into boxing. So we went, um, you know, totally a different route. Um,
0: no tutus for Jess, huh?
2: No tutus for Jess. I <laughs> now, not. is this
0: an older sister or a younger sister? She's
2: younger. She's two years younger. Does she for- hold
0: this against you? That you made fun of her for getting into dance?
2: No, because she was like really good at dance. Like I can't, like I can't hold a beat. Like I can't do any of that. So like she would make fun of me for like tripping over over my own two feet. So,
0: <laughs> so you did the boxing thing?
2: Yeah. So, um, I was in boxing. I want to say probably like sixth, seventh grade, um, all the way up through high school, and then into like early adulthood.
0: Okay. And obviously, you were really good at it. Um, well, you had to be good at it to go, to go pro kind of talk about your career. Like what, like, I honestly don't know a lot about boxing and back when you were boxing, was it, was it like growing as a woman's sport? Cause it seems like there's a lot more women boxers now than, I don't know.
2: Yeah. I think they're probably the, to me, the way I look at it now is that they're kind of a dime a dozen. Um, at that time, um, it was me, um, probably two or three other females that were, like, legitimate, um, you know, contenders that were um, in the gym. Um, for size, like, pairing me up with size-wise, it was, like, you, you weren't finding somebody my weight, so I was always boxing dudes, I was always fighting dudes, and I think that's probably, I mean, number one, that's where I learned how to get hit, um, and that, that you get hit and it's going to be okay. Um, and that's where I also got used to being hit by big dudes. So like, to me, it kind of, it was, it was easy in some ways, um, to fight females because I didn't have to be super skillful. I could just take a bunch of punches and, and then, you know, wait it out and throw some back cause they were kind of nothing. Um, but it, it, it wasn't a female sport at that, at that time. So like, all. what
3: was your, what was your weight class? Like if you had to back then we were like 90s
2: dude i was i was pretty skinny so like when i I remember i
3: mean she's tiny now so like right
2: uh in adult
3: uh, like early adult
2: i think i was probably fighting most often in early adulthood probably like 115 119 um but i remember like back when i first started even even when i was amateur um, wearing like a big heavy coat into to my weigh-in and putting <laughs> and putting like three pound dumbbells in to be able to make to make weight to, That's awesome. to fight <laughs> like, cheat, like cheating like cheating oh to yeah make we weight. were cheating yeah she definitely. had to add weight add to weight. make weight. Yeah, yeah. so
0: you could wow wow yeah and they, and and most of these fights you were trying to make weight to fight dudes
2: uh, I was fighting for most competitions I was fighting females got my, you the but around my the rest of my boxing career like you're spending most of the time in the ring with with dudes right. So when you're
0: training and, and yeah. everything else, um, were you training locally or, or were you traveling to train?
2: Um, so mostly I'd be training here locally. Um, fights would, there were some fights around here and then anywhere from like, I traveled down to Georgia, um, lots of fights in New York. Um, so like it was usually like, I would say like tri-state area ish, okay. you know, but, um, all right.
3: what was your, do you have a boxing name?
2: You know my boxing name. Derek.
3: I don't remember it, though.
2: The Bombshell. <laughs> the Bombshell.
3: Oh, man. And that was,
0: was that before you went pro or leading up to it? or I is think that it just was,
2: from the best I can remember, it was leading up to it. Um, and it wasn't like anything that I remember using a ton. Like, I mean, I would be announced that way. Right. Um, but like, it wasn't like I walked into the gym and people were like, oh, there's the bombshell. The most I heard it was after I started working in the police department <laughs> and somebody found out that I was the bombshell, and then that was all over the place. Well,
0: that was my next question. Did you actually share that with someone or did someone just find that no, out? No, dude, probably? they found that out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You find something like that out, you're definitely going to use it. Yeah, it was used again. Um, so, when did you go pro then? Like, um, when were you, like, what happens to be considered pro, and when did that happen for you?
2: So, we just made the determination. Um, I had done. Um, the nationals like the golden glove nationals, um, amateurs. Um, and I w- was second in the nation. I want to say that was, I'm not going to say the year cause Come that's kind of depressed me. Come on. Um, you got to say the year. No, How I'm not works. saying the year. It might been, might have been prior to 2000. <laughs> Perfect. I think it was 99. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was 99. Right. Anyway. So, um, I was second in the nation. Um, and, Ultimately, I think what would have been cool would have been to um, go to go to the Olympics, but the, at that point, um, this what the, there was no female fighting in, the, in in the Olympics, so that wasn't oh. an option. Um, so then it was kind of like, what's the next thing? And that's where the determination to go pro was. It kind of just kind of was the natural progression that you did. I guess if you didn't suck, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you keep going,
0: right? <laughs> so, so your what was your overall record? Both like. Total. Before you were amateur and then pro. Do you know what you're, do you I remember? Have,
2: I have no idea. Um,
0: do you know how many knockouts you
2: had? Honestly, I want to say. So I had in pro, I believe it was two. Um, I don't know what I, what, what I did in amateur. I would say if I had to guess that my record would have been a 50 50 record. Okay. Like that's yeah. what it was. Um, and a, mostly I attributed that to my stubbornness in not using skill and just being willing to be hit. <laughs> Take okay. it Yeah.
0: Now, do you remember your record in pro? Because no. how long were you in pro? You don't remember.
2: I, was not in that, I wasn't in that long. It was probably a few years okay. um, before, before I realized that that was actually not going to pay my bills and I had to <laughs> put on some big girl pants. How, how,
0: <laughs> how old were you when you realized that?
2: Do you remember? I mean, that was probably like right around the time I'm turning like 20, 21, 22, okay. something like that. And it sort of just, I guess, I it, it fa- like I phased out. Like I realized that this wasn't going to be like this, this like, you know, golden ticket thing. And now it's time to me- for me to figure out something to do.
0: Um, do you regret not giving it longer?
2: Um, I think I probably could have taken it further, but I just, it wasn't. It, When I was young and I was doing it with my dad, it was a it was a passion for me. And it was still a passion for me in that, like, I'm like super into like fitness stuff. And I like I'd love to like I'd condition myself for five hours a day if I had the time. Um, But the passion of like of going, you know, traveling here and there and like, um, you know, being with the group of people that I was with at the time, it just it, it just wasn't a passion. So I was like, why is it? why am I going to do that part of it? I guess.
0: Now you're, I know you're really big into fitness still and, and you work out a lot. Do you ever get, do you ever box as part of that? Do you still do it sometimes or no? Uh,
2: I mean, I box my kid, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but that's about it. Um, I think after I got hit by the car, it seems like it's probably like not super smart to go in there and do that all the time. But like, you know, I'll play around certainly.
0: Yeah. Well, we joked, we joked about you getting hit by the car and you just brought it up. So let's, let's talk about that. When, when did that, what year did that happen? You were on the job. So you were, we're kind of fast forwarding here. you you were hired yeah, by yeah. Lancaster City. You're on the job. Um, you're riding bike. You this really- is what
2: you get for exercising outside. <laughs> stay, stay inside. <laughs> stay indoors. <laughs> okay.
0: But you really got into bike riding.
2: Yeah, like it was like it was never anything I was super into, but like it, I guess it's probably the OCD thing. Like I started off with it and I was like I I got some little like, you know, shitty mountain bike or whatever thing, and then it just progressed into all of a sudden I was wearing like the, you know, the dork bike shorts and the super cool helmet <laughs> and all that stuff. And like I was I was really down for it. I was into it. So um, Like
0: how how much were you riding a day then?
2: Um it it all depended. I mean, but if I would go out and ride, it, it would usually be like, you know, 25, 30 mile like ride. OK.
0: And were you like entering races or rides or anything or were you?
2: Um, races? No, I, I would do um, occasionally just like a fun ride or whatever. And then um, once before and once after my accident, I did um, a ride, which is like a, the, it's called a Law Enforcement United um, ride for Ride to Hope, I believe it is. Um in any case, that's a ride um from from here in p a down to the police memorial, so that was like i don't know two hundred fifty miles or something like that
3: okay d c right yeah d c
0: yeah so so you're in the you're in the this bike thing, yeah, so what year what year did you have this accident where you were hit by a car
2: two thousand sixteen
0: okay yeah. what happened
2: um so I had planned to um drop something off actually at another police station. Um, down in the Conestoga area and I had rode down um, and I rode down with um, another coworker, worker um, and we we took a real like real cool selfie I was standing there like real cool muscles out and everything at the you know the, at the sign at the police station or whatever um, we turn around and roll back and we're actually passing um, Pine View Dairy you know where Pine View Dairy is yeah. the best ice cream on the fucking planet um, uh, it
0: is good I'm, not the best it down on the farm is my new spot. Okay, I, I don't agree
2: a- with that. I'm gonna, I take issue with that. We'll get to that later. <laughs> um. So anyway, I'm riding back, and um, we're passing Pine View, and like I make it some sort of joke about ice cream or whatever. And so th- I, one thing I should have said is uh, when I rode with this guy, the the kind of the the way we'd always ride is I would like beat beat him up the hill. Like I would roll past him up the hill. And then when we would come off the hill, I would go behind. Like it was just always the way we rode. And so I was behind. All I remember is, is you know, making fun of him or whatever thing. Um, and I thought we were kind of like right at the curve where this Pineview Dairy, where this ice cream place is. Um, and the next thing that I know, I woke up in a field. So really? and I got hit from behind. <laughs>
0: and you don't remember any anything about it?
2: No, I just remember waking up. I, I thought... Actually, when when they did the accident, or when when they showed me where it was, it was actually on the straightaway, which was f- much further away from from Pineview. So I guess you know I probably lost that that part of okay. memory. I don't I don't know.
0: Yeah, and uh, what what were your injuries? <clears throat> in um,
2: okay, so I had um let me think of all these things she's not gonna remember them
3: be- <laughs> she got hit
0: by a
2: car. you're the spot oh you were pretty <laughs> well okay. What, okay what was your major
3: injury
2: so it's i like had you
0: were pretty jacked um, up.
2: a broken collarbone um sternum broken sternum um ligament dam- damage in my neck um a couple vertebrae broken in my back uh a skull fracture um a tbi and i think that was about it Okay. the major things.
0: And uh, how long did it take you to get back to full duty?
2: So um, the, the accident happened um, on the 21st of September, and then I was back um, full di- duty prior to a year before that. I came back to light duty probably, um, I don't know, like maybe April, May of, of 2017, and then was full duty um, prior to a year.
0: Okay. To the, and you were still you were still on patrol at that point, right?
2: Yeah. So I had um, I had done one training stint in, in CID and in, in our detective division prior to the accident. Um, w- went back to the street. Um, was kind of like no, I knew that's where I wanted to be. Got hit. Um, was lucky enough to be able to come back um, on light duty and do another training position sort of thing while I was on light duty, um, and then. Ultimately, I went back to the street and then eventually got detectives shortly after.
0: Yeah. The injuries that you had from that, are they still lingering? Do you still, is there still stuff that you have to,
3: like, fight through with that?
2: Gary, can I pick up a pen?
3: No, she can't bend over. If she bends over at all, it looks like she's going to fall over. It's pretty hilarious. <laughs> really? I mean, she can actually pick up a pen. But, like, sometimes when she bends over, like, if she, like, bends over or, like, puts her, like like, bends at the waist. Yeah. Like... You could like, she kind of like stumbles, it's kind of weird. And I don't think what's she, even knows she does it, but it's not all the time. But
2: no, like, um, j- just uh, still some of the remaining like head stuff. Um, okay. uh, it, to me, I think I'm the only one that realizes that the, that it happens. Obviously, apparently, Gary's the other one. I that try does. to notice <laughs> other people's faults, he tried to yeah. <laughs> um, weaknesses, <laughs> but I say 80 or 90 is my new 100. That's kind of like my standard when people ask me that that's my answer, and, okay. You know, you just have to realize that. Some things aren't ever gonna be exactly like they were before and and that's okay. You can still be badass either way.
0: Right. Yeah. And you probably can still um you can definitely beat up Gary, probably. I feel confident I can beat up Gary. You'd probably beat me up too. And you're aging anyway. So like I know, I'm
2: gonna hit a wall here soon enough. So it's like
0: Yeah. Well, we all do. (laughs) We all do. Some of us sooner than than later, but yeah, you're still really into working out, still really into like what's what's your what's your thing now? Like what are you into right now? And if you say CrossFit, we're done.
2: Okay. So <laughs> uh, like this that. is almost as bad, but I absolutely love the Peloton. Yeah. Love it. Even um, though
0: the commercial was like what what was the problem with the commercial? It was like extremely sexist or something.
2: Remember the big oh, that was silly. That was, uh, wasn't that the thing though. Like, yeah, everyone I lost their so. minds because
0: there was like a woman. Because he on bought a...
2: her the Peloton. Yes, he wasn't that it? He bought right. her the. Pe- How dare yeah. he buy How her? How dare a present?
0: husband buy yeah. like a
3: woman can't buy her own Peloton? Right?
2: Yeah, I, Or I, no,
0: I, it's I, suggesting that he bought something for his wife to get her in shape. Like it was this yeah. huge same thing. That, yeah. Anyway, so you're into the Peloton.
2: Love the Peloton. Okay, um, Peloton, sorry. Peloton. Yeah, you're you're saying It's it a bird, isn't it? <laughs> no, no. Um mainly I love the tread. I have the the Peloton treadmill. So like that's oh, Okay. Um that's my thing. I I, I could spend all day there um love pull-ups i will talk to you all day about pull-ups any kind of pull-ups um any casting. kind of
0: because there's like overhand there's underhand and then there's a whole no. bunch of other ones yeah
2: yeah. i mean you could do them with it like one hand with holding a towel and the other hand holding the bar two hands with the towel some like like ball grips to hold on to um yeah that's my thing
0: okay and so. do you do so obviously now based on what you said earlier you do you work out inside
2: yeah i mean I'll, I'll go I out you, for a run I'll still right. go out for a run okay um and I'll ride occasionally like but it clearly the passion for that is not there after you so get i a just bike uh
0: car. I just bought a bike last last at the end of like last summer uh from from our dear friend ryan hockley
2: I kind of thought that yeah. you did how long so, ago uh
0: at the end of last summer, so I didn't get many rides in you know I haven't had many rides in I haven't had it out at all yet this year you know my biggest Fear with it is like getting my feet out of it because i i have the the, i have the clip in yeah and and like it's like this mental hurdle for me like i'm i i know how to do it and i've done it um but i'm i'm still like nervous about riding where it's busier where there's like busier (laughs) traffic lights and stuff so i i when i leave the house here i'm always trying to hit like back roads and stuff because i'm a i'm terrified of falling over into traffic because if I don't get yeah, my and dude, foot if you forget
2: right. to put, take your foot out of that clip, you just go boop. you like, know right, up, like over to the side. Like that's, that's I know. all that happens, it's and I
0: know what would done. happen. I would fall like in me. front of like an eighteen yeah. wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't fall in front of, like a Ford Festiva or something like that. I'd Be like an eighteen wheeler. Um, but yeah, I guess I just got to get off. The You're gonna have to just it. get out there. I, you know. Yeah, I do need to. Um, yesterday, it's hanging up in my garage. I ran into it and I almost knocked it off the wall, which reminded me. I should probably like put some air in these tires and actually use I it. like how
3: you say you bought a bike and you literally rode it probably less than five times is what I'm guessing. No, no. I, I rode it more than that. Seven and a half times. I
0: think, I'm trying to remember when I bought it. I think it was last October, September. So I didn't, I didn't have it out much. But because it's, it's, it's still like brand new to me. I that mean, I think like it, it was bike brand
2: bike. new to Hockley, too, right? I mean, he didn't ride it. Well, I. I, I <laughs> he didn't ride it.
0: here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm doing better. Based on what I remember talking to Hockley, I've done better than him. Like, he said he bought it and maybe rode it, like, once or twice. And he had, the, he had these grand, grand ideas. That he he moved to
3: riding. BMX bikes and doing, like, tricks for, like, a week and a half. Are you serious? <laughs> oh, yeah. He got a BMX bike. Remember that? Yeah. yeah, he
2: spent longer on the BMX than he did keto. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's
3: true, that's true. Wait, so he, is He's he the still... guy who's not obsessed about anything. Yeah, I wish <laughs> I can't... was,
2: in some ways, I wish I was like that, because, like, I just, I grab onto things and I'm I'm You stuck. can't let go. Yeah.
3: Hockley just acts like he wants to grab onto something, and then he just lets go of it because he doesn't care. Poor Hockley.
0: <laughs> Hockley, we can talk about Hockley because he was- Because he's been he, on. Yeah, he's been on. He did an episode with us. Uh, season one, I don't remember what number, but he was on. All right, so now let's back up. So you go, you're what? Did you say something, Gary? I thought you whispered. Something. I would never say
3: anything to you yeah. without fear. In my voice, Anthony, um, you know that to be true.
0: So yeah, so you had this this bike accent. Thanks for sharing that story, by the way. Now let's go back to the beginning again. You're you go through the academy. How many women were in the academy with you?
2: Aside from me, one other. Oh really? Yeah.
0: Did you destroy her in the academy?
2: I was. Uh, she was very. Um, she was academic. She did well in in class. <laughs> but physically, you destroyed her. How? Um, yeah, yeah. That that could be. How many 100% did, How true. many
0: dudes did you destroy physically in the academy?
2: One guy that was super fit, fantastic. You know, was was great. Um, another guy from our department um, that did very well. Uh, I still say I beat him physically hundred um, percent. And then everybody else was kind of just like kind of petered out behind the three of us i would say okay um the first like not to toot my own horn but like um uh, to me like the 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 test um the physical agility test or the the physical test for becoming a police officer is like the only test that you know all the answers to right right you know what what you're going to be required to do um you don't even have to study. You just have to kind of just repeat the answers in your head. AKA take a run, do some push-ups, do a bench, whatever right. you got to do. So, um I you know, I was prepared for that. Some were some weren't. Um and I would say like the that first day in the academy like where they 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 crush you or whatever thing, like I felt like looking back on that day, I I felt the whole way through. I'm like this is whatever. Like I got this 100%. Like this is this is whatever like I train I train harder than this um, and specifically the the probably the thing I was most proud about in that moment was um, so like the the I don't know what, what it was six foot eight foot wall or whatever that you had to jump. Do you remember this in the did you go running the academy? Yeah,
0: we we did run in the academy. I don't remember doing the six or eight foot wall. OK, so this wall Honestly, thing. I thought the academy was a joke.
2: It was but- it was it was an absolute joke. So anyway, um, this wall thing, they they smoked you all day and then they had you jump this wall and like big dudes, tall dudes couldn't get this wall. Like and I just kind of like fluttered over it, you know, like (laughs) I was probably 115 pounds at that point. Like it was super easy to get over it. And I remember the instructor just just saying, go do it again, like go do it again. And I probably did it like 10 times going around and doing it. And you like had these while these dudes. other dudes who were like standing there, like clamoring to get up the wall, like you know whatever. I was like, yeah, I got this shit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. um, I will say, taking in my career, taking fences was like my kryptonite. Really, with, oh, with gear on, it's hard. Gear ho- on, gear is I, you get hung up. That's the problem. Yes. I would always, I would get over a fence, and it looked like I was in a, a fight 100%. with like nine yep. cats. <laughs> the cats just—it's just, it's just like up. I'd be all scratched up, you know, right. boogered up and stuff. Um, I always was, I always, uh, was jealous of those guys that we worked with that were big enough. They would just go through the fence, like wooden fences, literally like just go through the fence. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't remember doing the wall. I'm sure we did. I just don't remember doing it.
2: It was probably easy for you then.
0: Um, maybe, or maybe it was so hard that I, I just shut it out. out I don't know. Um, but yeah, you're right. Every, like going into the Academy, going in to even take the test. I'm always amazed at how many, how many applicants they know exactly what they need to do. They know they they know like what they need to do and they can't do it. I'm like, why are you even taking the test? Right. If you know you can't do it. Because when I was when I was in high school, I weighed, I don't know, 120 pounds soaking wet. And I knew getting into law enforcement, I knew what I needed to be able to accomplish. I knew I wasn't gonna be able to do it unless I got into the gym and and started working out. And I put on a bunch of weight and was able to Pass everything fine. Get when I when I got hired, and then through the academy. So I'm not saying I could have beat you, because you're a bit of no. A, you sound a freak. like freak.
2: You were fantastic. Uh, I think you I probably. Don't, I don't know,
0: but it is it is interesting how many people go in and literally can't do what's expected of them. I don't I don't understand them. I do have the um, the uh, Mopec standards up, okay, which I find interesting. All so right. Mopec is Municipal Police Officers Education and yeah, Training you can Commission. This shit. Oh yeah. Do 100%. you have well, to be honest, have you? do you ever go out and try to do this stuff no. to see if you can still do it? No. I'm, I mean, you probably don't either. You probably just know you can.
2: I just... What was, uh, tell every, us what yeah, the, yeah, the All right. All right. So,
0: And the mystery here. All right. Municipal Police Officers Education and Training Commission. This is their standards. They have male standards and female standards. Oh,
2: boy. They do. <laughs> all right. We'll, we'll get into that. Okay. We'll,
0: we'll see what you think about this. but um so an 18 to 29 year old if you're a male 18 to 29 you need to be able to do 35 sit-ups in one minute you need to be able to do a 300 meter run in 62.1 seconds you need to be able to do 26 push-ups in one minute this is 18 to 29 year old male 26 push-ups in one minute i'm sorry i think that's ridiculous a one and a half mile run in 13 minutes and 15 seconds.
2: You walk that, right?
0: Yes. Um, for female standards, and I think these, I think these have gone up because I, I felt like when I was in the academy, you had to do a mile and a half in 12 minutes. I did it in 930 something. Just saying. Toot, toot. Yes, you're tooting your own yep, horn. Exactly. I was top runner in my class. That's my only claim to fame. Are you serious? In my wow. academy. Anyways. Um, female standards by age 18 to 29, 30 sit-ups in one minute, uh, 75 seconds to do a 300 meter run, 13 push-ups in one minute, 13, and 13.
2: So wait, so you said 26 for males, half 13 for, for females. females.
3: Yep. And they have to they do, have them do them up. on their knees or is it like a legit up? I,
0: I'm uh, assuming it's a legit, it doesn't have any like, okay. notation there yeah i think it has to be a legit 13 push-ups in one minute um and then the one and one and a half mile run uh 15 minutes 46 seconds
2: oh my goodness that's wild
0: gary how old are you you're you're my age you're 43 okay so you're 40 to 49 and you uh jess i know this isn't i'm not supposed to ask a woman her age but where are you in the 30 to 39 age
2: age i'm in the 30 to 39 okay thank you
0: um She's 31 and a half. So 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 uh so Jess, you would need to do twenty two sit ups in one minute for your age range. You need to do a three hundred meter run in eighty two seconds. You need to do nine push ups. Nine (laughs) nine nine push ups -ups (laughs) in a minute. And you you have sixteen minutes and forty two seconds to complete a mile and a half run. That's unreal. You walk
2: that backwards. Yes. Not only walk it, walk it backwards.
0: Gary, Gary and I, this is what we have to do. Gary, you have to do 27 sit ups in one minute. Wow. I
3: think I could handle that. <laughs> uh,
0: all right. I'll give it to you. You could definitely do a 300 meter run in 77 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Um, 15 push ups. 15 push ups. In, in, def- in, in a minute. You could definitely Just do 15. Just to
3: see me push-ups. do it. We do it in the office sometimes.
0: You can do 15 push ups yeah. in a minute.
2: We had like a few solid weeks of like squats push-ups. and push ups.
0: 14 minutes 34 seconds to do a mile and a half
3: oh my goodness
2: i feel
0: like at, honestly the 13 15 to do a mile and a half to me that's purely mental it, you don't even i f- f- i'm looking at the mail now if you're an 18 to 29 year old male and you want to get into law enforcement and you're listening to this episode if you can't do a mile and a half in 13 minutes and 15 seconds Get mentally stronger because you're not going to be able to do police work. Yeah, find something like seriously else to do like, do that in reality. that find that's like else. mental. Find something That's else. pure. Yep. Like that is not that fast. You mentally, you should just be able to work your way through that, um, even if you're puking at the end. Like, geez.
3: Or wow. you got to get yourself. You have plenty of time. Like if you know you're going to apply, yeah, like, get you ready. Have time, like either get ready or don't. Yes, and move on, exactly. Do something else.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So you get through the academy. You're in patrol. How long were you in patrol?
2: Um from 8 to 18, 10 years.
0: Okay. And um were you on night work, day work or you were doing you were I guess when you came on the job, you would either been night work or day work.
2: Yeah, lunch, we were so. permanents, and so I spent most of my time um on night work. Okay. I loved it. Now now I like to go to bed at 7:30. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what was your what was your favorite part of patrol?
2: I just liked that you could just run from from place to place to place. You could do whatever you wanted to do. If you wanted to focus on one thing one night, it was kind of like, you, yeah, you had, you had bosses and people looking over you, but you could do what you wanted to do. You could make whatever you wanted of it. Right. Um, and you weren't like, you weren't stuck in an office. That was the whole thing I was looking for.
0: <laughs> so do you reg- like, and so you said eight to 18. So you've been in, in SIU, um, Special Investigation Unit, now in detectives for since 2018. Do you ever wish you were back on the street, or do you really enjoy what you're doing no. now?
2: Um, I no. Can't, I can't imagine doing anything besides what I'm doing. Um, like, I, I, I liked patrol, and when I put in for detectives, I was at the point of, like, I knew that I wanted special investigations i knew that's what i wanted but i'm like you know if i don't get it i still love my job control it's fine it's whatever um but now that I, th- like i see the difference like to me there's just like such a value not that there's not a value for for me personally i guess it's kind of probably a selfish thing um like i feel like what i'm doing is, is valuable like i get that like warm happy feeling or whatever thing um so it, it, it i just couldn't imagine not doing that
0: yeah I think I think, especially where you guys are at doing a lot of like work with uh, sex crime victims and that sort of thing, um, yeah, the reward is you you get to see something to completion like you get to like when you're on the street, you're just going and you're putting a bandaid on it, even if you're the original reporting or the original officer who's taking the report for um, the sexual assault or the sexual abuse or whatever, like you you don't get to see. You may hear what happens, but you don't really get to to walk it through to the, and you're just taking that report and moving on to the next call. So I could see how that that is rewarding. Um, When you went up to detectives, was 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 that where you wanted to go into the special investigations unit?
2: Yeah, so I knew that's where I wanted to be, and actually, um, so after I did the first stint, like training stint, um, when I went back to my platoon, I told my lieutenant, um, like my supervisor um, that, Hey, I, I want to do, I want to do sex cases. Every, t- everyone, I take everyone that comes in, I'll take it. Like if, if I'm free, I'll take it. Um, and that's kind of like what I did from that point when I came back down, um, to c- try to kind of, you know, weasel myself where I wanted to be. I right. Guess. <laughs> right
0: No, there's nothing wrong with that. You knew, you knew what you wanted and, and you started doing the work on the street. What was your, like, if you're comfortable sharing your most memorable call. Like when you were on patrol?
2: I was thinking about this and like, to me, so this was part of like, I was reflecting on like the difference to me from like SIU to like patrol and like patrol, I think of in like moments, like, I don't think of it. I, don't, I just don't think of like the most memorable call. Like I think of the first time, like that I was like, oh shit, this, this, this is real. Like, which, you know, for me was the, like a shooting, um, that happened behind what was Gusto's bar at the time. Like, like, I remember responding to that and like turning the corner and hearing the shots. And I'm like, oh, fuck Like, this is going to like, shit's going down. Like, I'm getting a shooting right now. Wait, like, was that
0: was that the big giant shootout? Yeah, I like, remember. And then yeah. there was like the,
2: the crazy traffic crazy. stop on the other. That was crazy. Were yeah. you there?
0: Yes. Well, we went there for like a fight. We were at a fight at um, a bar down the street, weren't we? And then while we were there trying yes. to clear the street. All of a sudden, like multiple shooters behind this this bar, Gustos is right. what it was called, and it was at least two or three different shooters because you could hear the different calibers while we were on scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, yeah. I was there. I, that, I remember it.
2: That was the, fir- the to me. That was the first time I that I really recall like being like the, like this is this is real and you know real bad stuff could happen or whatever thing. Like you didn't think about it after the time. At the time, you think about, about it when you're driving home or whatever. Right. Um. But. I, so, I, I guess I think about it in like, you know, little moments like that. Like, I remember a house on Dorwart where, where you know, uh, a woman was shot and killed and walking in that door and just seeing her, you know, dying there on the floor. Like, I, I, so I, I guess for me, it's just like, it's more like, like flashes of like memories of certain things that right. happen. Um, where like now, like for, for the cases I work, it's like, it, it, it is that it's that memory of that that whole case what i don't know what the difference is right. It's just.
0: right now getting into siu and again when i say siu i'm talking special investigations unit you guys do a lot of like sexual assault cases obviously you and gary work together um was there a reason that you were drawn to that type those types of investigations was it stuff you saw on the street was it just going up in that training spot in cid and working some of those cases? What? what caused you to be like, man, this is what I want to do.
2: So I'll be honest. When I first started, um, I had no desire to be in detectives. Like when, like when I first started, like I could never imagine doing anything other than running around like a crazy person on the street. Like that's what I wanted to do. Um, so it wasn't until I, I got up in the training position where, um, I kind of just said, I'm just going to go up and in the training position to get them off my back. Like, you know, they, you know, supervisors want you to do something different and whatever thing. So I want to get them off my back. So we'll make them happy. I'll go up here. And um, so when I got up there, you, they kind of give you a little bit of everything. So you work violent, violent crime cases, you work property cases, you work, you work sex and kid cases. And like, that was just for me, when I saw like, the the contact that we have with like victims and to me just I that's where I felt like I could actually like make a difference like I know that sounds silly and you know cheesy but like that's where I felt like I could make a difference and like from that point on I guess it was kind of decided you kind of fell in love with it
0: yeah um and you kind of before you got up there you you were kind of already involved in sex cases in that you were also doing some undercover work on (laughs) like here and here and there like you weren't like deep undercover anything like that but you were actually doing undercover work posing as a prostitute for the selective enforcement unit can you talk about that at all like what what that was like doing that
2: so really any idiot can do it like (laughs) that's not true uh. um so
0: what you're saying is we could throw a wig on gary and have him go out there yeah yeah
2: gary would you have to wear a low-cut shirt throw a (laughs) lollipop in his mouth and it's case closed i was terrible at
3: the prostitution stuff i was absolutely terrible especially picking up dudes like i was terrible picking up dudes just destroy dudes so
0: you did that you i don't know if you enjoyed it but like it was interesting work, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, I loved it. And the the great thing about it was like it was an opportunity that um, dudes with my time on weren't getting. I mean, like, yeah. you just don't need a guy to go out there and, and be a prostitute. So, like, it, it gave me a, a level of experience with my time on that that others probably didn't have. Um, and it just it gave you an opportunity to do something different and kind of like have some fun with it, um, you know. Yeah, I, don't know, it was, I always loved it.
0: Yeah, how often were you were you doing it? Because I think you were doing that for SEU after I would left. Were you doing it like once a month?
2: So uh, it it got to the point where I was I actually got burnt out. Like, it, it burnt out in that like I was getting called out. So like we crushed it for a while, and and then it it kind of got to the point where I was like, okay, I did did enough of this, and it needed we we need to let it breathe. Like, right. it was just too much. Yeah. So
0: Yeah. Were you buying drugs? Were you doing a lot of buying drugs then too, with these uh, guys? Not or- a
2: ton. Like if the opportunity arose um, and came out of it, um, but but not yeah. a ton.
0: Yeah. What was? I the-
2: remember one time I went down an alleyway and I I don't remember if that if that was you that yelled at me. I got yelled at for going down that alleyway. Somebody was close my close cover and wasn't being close enough, and I wanted to to go buy drugs and you know I. I I guess maybe it wasn't the smartest decision, but I got yeah. it. It could have been Gary.
3: It probably wasn't me, because like as the undercover, you just kind of you're you're in charge of your own destiny at some point at some level.
2: Yeah, I feel like yeah. No, Jess, exactly. what was the
3: lowest? What was the lowest amount of money that someone offered you for some sexual favor uh, as well, a undercover?
2: cheeseburger? The cheeseburger? Are we talking about the know. cheeseburger? Yeah, I, I sold myself for a cheeseburger. A McDonald's, a cheeseburger, cheeseburger. McDonald's yeah. and, I, and I never got it, which was really upsetting. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but we got the, you got the guy, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. A cheeseburger. Yeah. That's awesome. See, that
0: right there should have been a clue. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
3: just say a cheeseburger,
0: that, please. That, the, that the, the woman, the lady of the night that you're trying to pick up is willing to take a cheeseburger from you?
2: Yeah, to, and I, I mean, I would a, I would give away anal for five bucks. I mean, like <laughs> that that is hundred percent a clue. <laughs> <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> right, because it's literally that you just got to say it. Right. And it's like the thing, yeah. like that's the charge. So, well, it's and like,
0: I, I and what's 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 so interesting, like people listening to us be like, "Oh my word, I can't believe she just said that." But that's literally the conversations you're having. Oh yeah. You're you're talking. These these guys are out trolling for women, and 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 it's also not a victimless crime. Like right. these guys are taking who yeah, knows what home sure. to their families. Like they're taking, you know, STDs and all kinds of other stuff home to their families. Um, like this is not a victimless crime. This And does- a lot of
3: these women are being trafficked. Like, yes, they, you know, yeah. they're being or they're being pimped out or whatever they are. Like they're right. not keeping this money. All of that. I mean, right. some of them are. But like a lot of these ladies are not keeping the money like they have to return to their pimp. The guy who's protecting them, right. they have to turn them money. So, like, it's not a victimless crime.
0: And, and and that's why this type of work is important. And it might be shocking to the ears of, of some people listening to this episode, but it, it's just the fact of life. Like, yeah. it's the fact of the job and, and what, um, you know, what officers are doing to try to uh, limit this stuff yeah, that's happening. I mean, you have
2: to be comfortable um, kind of diving into like that. CD stuff that they're doing you have to be comfortable talking about it you have to be comfortable just just throwing it out there as you're having a conversation um to to actually you know right get a dude um and and i think like your listeners need to be comfortable or be aware that that's that's what's happening it's not it's not like you're um that you're meeting a girl that's wearing like a, a you know lingerie in a nice hotel like you're like you know you're, you're giving, getting a blowjob in your car and then driving home to your family. Like, right. It's. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. It's not. Uh, what was the movie? The the, the famous prostitute Oh, movie yeah. Pretty that? Woman? It's not Pretty Woman. Dude, I love that movie. I and do it, which too. is so bad that I love that movie. It's terrible but... <laughs> I like it too. I don't even know if I've ever seen it. Too. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got to watch it. It's worth the watch. Oh, I don't I don't know. Know. It's. Um, what's her name?
2: Um, uh, Julia Roberts.
3: And what's the, the guy's name? Oh, that hot. Richard that, Gere? Rich- that- no. No. Is that.
2: I think it is Richard Greer. Gere, Gere? Gere? Greer? I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't know Holly He's Richard. like the, the only person that has gray hair that I can find remotely attractive.
3: Really? <laughs> like Sylvester Stallone, he now has gray hair. He's a boxer.
2: Sylvester Stallone is now. Really? Huh? Uh,
0: what, what I will say is, is that why your husband shaves his head now?
2: Yeah, so I did, I did ask him to shave it. Around the time that I got hit, actually, I think I, that might have been part of the brain injury. That I asked him to shave <laughs> it, but I do when I see that he has gray hair. I, I I'm not a fan. It's got to go away. Yeah. So and there's definitely gray hair there. Like he can do just for men if he wants. Like that's <laughs> awesome. So if he did just for men, no, he can court. do whatever he wants. But like definitely, I don't want to see the gray hair. That's we, all.
0: <laughs> On this episode, we do have an audience. Uh, Jess's husband is here in the audience listening to us while we record this. I don't know if he'll yell out or not.
2: Is he awake? He's not, he's not yelling. He's, he's, no, shaking no he's shaking his head. He's shaking his head no and scowling
0: at me, which is classic.
2: Can you tell me um, about when you realized that um, that my husband and I were were an item? I, I heard about you specifically not being aware that, that this was a thing. Oh, I had
0: no clue. I was like, probably like, we were we were working. So so yeah me jess and jess's husband I, I won't throw his name out there because i don't know that he wants his name out here on this episode yeah, but. Probably not.
2: <laughs> he'll tell you if he wants his edited it out
0: <laughs> um but but yeah we were all working on the same shift i had no idea you guys were were dating yeah. zero um uh,
2: my understanding was like it was like long after we were married that you figured that out
0: no that is not true okay that, that i don't know where you was- heard that but i i do
2: Maybe I was exaggerating for my own benefit. No,
0: I do know there is someone that did not realize that, that didn't realize it until you guys were married. That is, I know there was someone like that was not me. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I knew you guys were dating for quite a while and like, I didn't even know you guys liked each other on the, like you never talked to each other. Isn't that good? You're on the same. That's what you do, man. Yeah. You're on the same shift and you guys never even talked to each other. But yeah, no, I, that was not, that was not, uh, not me. I was not that (laughs) out of the loop. (laughs) A little out of the loop, but not that out of okay, the loop. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So you've been up in SIU since 2018. What's What's been your your favorite, I don't even know if I want to say favorite, your most meaningful case that you've had up there that you can talk about? I mean, I know you probably still have some active cases, but like any cases that okay. that have been super meaningful.
2: So. I, like i have a a few like I'm not gonna talk about a ton of cases mm-hmm. um, but I have a few one I'll talk about um that was probably one of the first um cases that I got that was like more of a historical case the first bigger case that I got was, that was a historical case, and what I mean by that is um it it wasn't an an immediate report um that victim came to us um years after the abuse I want to say that happened in two thousand ten um and ultimately, number one, I, like, I just fell in love with it. Like this, this girl was just a great girl that something real, real terrible had happened to. Um, and I like I guess you just form a, just like any human relationship. You form a connection with certain people, I had a connection with her. Um, and through that case, I found um, that this person had done the same thing to another victim that was um, out, out in the county. So ultimately, we're able to charge um, my case and then a a case, um, which I essentially worked the case and then Columbia charged it. Um, And like what she had to say after was like, this is again, like the selfish thing was like the, you know, her patting me on the back sort of thing. Like, you know, she just felt such value in. And that was, I guess, probably one of the first times that like I heard what the value in like what we do, like, you know, she wrote out like this, this super long letter or whatever. Um, but but that one, I remember her specifically walking me, to So that incident had occurred um, in a park um, within our jurisdiction. And so she um, and he this person had violated her in in several ways. Um, and she, I remember her walking me to where it happened, Mm -hmm. um, to take pictures. And like, to me, it was just like, it was, it was something that was like, actually like emotion like I was like holding back tears, like walking with her Mm -hmm. or behind her. Cause I'm like that, like, this is like 10 years ago, like 10 years prior. And she's showing me this, um, and having to walk through and point this out. And I thought that like, that's a, that's a strong person. Like to be able to talk to what uh, I was then a stranger. She had talked to me for, you know, maybe an hour in an interview. We drove in a car to to this park and she pointed out some things. And I'm like, that's like that takes like some guts to be able to do that and to be able to do that 10 years after to come back to it. So um, that was real valuable to me. Um, A case that actually was not my case, but um, Ryan Hockley's case. Um, that was was real valuable to me was um, the one you remember this one Gary um, where um, the father was doing some really nasty things to his his little girl I want to say she was five
3: if that yeah right she's
2: four or five wow so like Hockley did like an all star job working this case like he it was just super solid and so we all kind of like hit it t- together the day de- the day that everything came together. Um and Gary's job was looking at some awful stuff on her, on on this guy's phone. Um my job was was with the girl and and like g- kids don't like me. Kids know I'm afraid of them. They hate me. <laughs> <laughs> really? But I, I don't know. I, I I try real hard and I give them candy and stuff, but like I think mostly they know I'm afraid of them. But this girl, like her and I got along like so I, I mean, it's terrible. Like her dad had 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 raped her um within like a couple hours before we arrived. Like mm-hmm. had and, and um and like clearly at that point, like she has no clue what you know, what her dad has has done to her and that it's wrong or whatever. But like it, just dealing with her that whole day, like was just a like uh, probably something i never had i don't know if i will ever have again because like she it, it was just the connect, the human connection you had with or i had with 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 that girl i mean yeah
0: how hard is it like in those cases to separate that connection and maybe you don't separate it uh that you have with a victim whether it's a child victim or an adult victim um do you have to try to disconnect that connection to do your job, or is that is that helpful to kind of like click with someone like that and and really kind of have like a helping them at a next level because there's like a, a level of, of relationship there or, or trust that you're building?
2: I think I mean obviously you can't be like blowing your eyes out like that. That's just not what happened. That's not what we do. Like that just. That's not how we work. We don't. We don't operate that way. Right. We, right. <laughs> right. Uh, we make some jokes and we move on. Um, but to, when you're in the moment with with the victims that you're working with, like you have to, you almost have to form a connection with them. Like you have to get them comfortable, whether it's a five year old or it's a twenty five year old or forty year old. It doesn't matter. You have to get them comfortable talking to you, comfortable, like kind of being like exposing themselves to you to some degree, right. and like getting them to buy into what you're wanting to do. Like you had like, so I think forming that connection, you know, is like, it's almost imperative. Like you have to, and I think probably um, more so than other areas of policing, that connection um, is, is so valuable. Um, and like some of the victim, I mean, w- victims that we work with um, aren't always, they're not always four year old, like, you know, completely, you know, innocent you know have never been involved then they we deal with people that are imperfect right um and so you have to have that extra level of like trust that you build with them um to to keep them on board with with with, where you're moving and to make sure that you're moving in the same direction that the victim wants and you're doing it together
0: so do you think being a woman in that role uh, helps you, hinders you, or just depends on the case?
2: I think it definitely depends on the case. Um, I think that there's just some connect- connections that they, maybe the next guy, like maybe Gary or Hockley or somebody else in my unit, will have um, that I don't have. I think there's times where it does benefit me being a woman, like talking to a woman, like I, I for whatever reason they... S- or at times you are more comfortable talking to me because I'm a woman. Sure. So I think it all just kind of depends.
0: Okay. Now, would you say that overall your career, um, like how, how overall, not just SIU, but even on patrol, how has being a woman in law enforcement helped you, um, in, in that role? Hmm.
2: Okay. So I, I think like when I first started, um, policing like you know i go through the academy or whatever i get off um on, you know with my fto or whatever and like i'm in training or whatever and i felt it necessary i think at that time to just be like I'm, i think i cut my hair short my hair short right now but it's cute um i think i cut my hair short like i felt it necessary to 100 percent be one of the guys like that's what i felt was important at that time Um, And I think that that helped me in a lot of ways. Um, But then as I progressed in my career, I realized that there's some differences that no matter what you as a female have, you, you're, you're different, a male and a female they're you're different. Um, And there's lots and lots of circumstances that you can use that to your benefit. I mean, there's times where I talked down dudes that were, you know, getting ready to you know whatever whatever it is you know fight or whatever thing because it was simply a female was talking to them and they were being respectful where they wouldn't normally have been respectful there's times where I was able to talk to a woman where a guy officer wasn't able to like it just you have to be able to slide yourself in and like it's kind of like that best tool for the job like it sounds kind of silly but like sometimes like a female might be the best tool for the job and you just have to recognize what that when that is and maybe when it's not um and i don't know like it i don't know it's it's okay to be a chick yeah <laughs> so do you but
0: do you think do you think a lot of women when they come into to law enforcement have that kind of mindset like hey i need to try to be one of the guys and kind of work in my experience i've seen this like the the women it seems like they feel like they have to like try to work overdrive to be one of the guys do you think that's something that's kind of common for women coming into law enforcement
2: That's kind of hard for me to answer I think because um of coming from my boxing background like I grew up with men like that's who I spent time around so I was comfortable hanging hanging around men I was comfortable talking like men like that's just to me it was it was natural and it was to me it was like authentic or whatever um i think i certainly see the point of where females coming on kind of feel that need to like to fit into that box or that mold i think it's probably less so now and i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing honestly i don't i don't know um but i think that that's probably less so now than okay. than it was you know whenever i started
0: so looking back you think you know, your time boxing and how much involvement you had, um, hitting and getting hit by other, (laughs) that sounds terrible. Yeah. I mean, but also like
2: like, there was, there was camaraderie there, um, because you worked out with the same team all the time. Um, and when you weren't fighting or you were conditioning or you were hanging out, you were hanging out with dudes because that's, I wasn't hanging out with the gar- the card girls, like I was right. hanging out with the dudes like so I think I just had a, a more of a comfort level than maybe somebody else that came from a different background would have
0: now do you think that boxing background also helped you then with the uh physical aspect of the job like being more comfortable with the idea of being in a physical confrontation?
2: yeah, I mean like I, I think there's people that come onto to this job that have never been hit that have never been thrown around um and that's like that's crazy to me. That's, that's hard to imagine, I guess, be, being in that position and not have ever had somebody throw a punch at your face or whatever. Um, but yeah, a hundred percent, like I was used to being close to people. I was used to like having to be physical. Um, so it, it wasn't that far of a jump to, you know, if a fight's going on, grab an arm, grab a leg, do something, I guess.
0: Right. Would you have like a, Ultimate positive on women being in law enforcement and an ultimate negative of women being in law enforcement and uh, like i mean i i think i was ju- I, I think I was going to ask you like what's your uh you know general opinion or take on women in law enforcement? I feel like that's too broad like what what's um what's the best thing women can offer to law enforcement and what's you know what do you feel is the most negative thing and and if you can't try. think of anything like that off the top of your head like
2: I'm like, I think I'm a real bad judge of, of women in law enforcement. Why? And I think that because, um, I think I specifically judge them more harshly than I would judge their male counterpart. Really? I expect more. Um, because when I started this job, I knew, and this is the way I view things. Um, I knew that I was going to have to work harder to be as good as you that's the way I looked at a hundred percent that was what was in my mind when I started I was gonna have to to push further work harder to to be at your level and that's not because like i'm I'm not like you know it could can't be as good as a cop or you know that I'm just a you know weak minded person it's just that it is what it is as a female you have you have hurdles with with people that you're dealing with you have hurdles physically i'm probably i don't even want to guess like i i'm I'm smaller than you, right? I, there's hurdles, so you have to work harder to be as good. And when when I perceive that a female doesn't work harder to be as good, then I'm immediately soured. Okay. Um So like, I, I just, I think, so that that's wh- that's where my opinion is like not probably. So like when I, it's tainted to a degree, I guess. Yeah. Well,
0: I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that I mean, I think if anyone. The most valid opinion around this this table right now is, is going to be your opinion. I mean, I have my opinions on women in law enforcement. I think, you know, I'll just say it. I think generally speaking, generally speaking, men make better police officers than women. Are there exceptions to the rule? Absolutely. Um, you know, when I look at, you know, the, the Mopec standards, I think that's wrong. I think the standards yep. should be the same. What, what do you, like, what's your take on that? So, 100% when you see the, standards.
2: the standards should be the same. Okay. There shouldn't be a difference in the standards. Um, Like, uh, you just, if you relate it to, like, I got to drag Gary out of a building after he's been shot. Like, I have to physically be able to do that. Like, right. whether, you know, so, nine push-ups in a minute or 13 push-ups in a minute, like, that's not going to cut that shit. Like, right. it should be comparable. Um, so and i agree with you in that so in lancaster county i've met some some cops some female cops that i think are are some are good cops are yeah, solid absolutely um 100% um but i've also met some um that i don't think that about um and that uh, that it kind of leaves you wondering like how they got to where they are um, and i think it's more noticeable when a female is um not a great cop than a dude because of those deficits that they already have just like you know physique wise and that like it's it's just more noticeable um and i i I agree that not 100 percent, this isn't for every female and it isn't for most females
0: why do you think there's such a big push then to get more women in the in law enforcement what do you think's behind that?
2: So I think that it it simply is that, you know, you want to be able to show a department that that's diverse, right? Okay, you want to be able to show that it's diverse. So the problem is, of course, we want a diverse department, right? We want females, we want, like, all different cultural groups, we want that. But that shouldn't that one shouldn't outweigh the need for a good officer, right? So, whether the, it, it just is, it should come down to the best person for the job. And that's not where I think culturally we are right now. I, I just don't think that's where we are. So, I think that's kind of where that push comes from.
0: It seems crazy to me that this idea that um, we should pick the best person for the job is somehow um, backwards thinking or uh, not like edgy or or like cancel inducing I I don't
2: I I just don't get it's crazy it's it's crazy like you want you want any job that you're in whether it's some corporate job whether it's this job you want the person that's going to be most efficient and most effective at doing that job whatever that job is right like it's it's that simple like and I, I don't know I don't I don't know the the answer to that to to how we got where we are, but like, you know, certainly not going to help things in the future. Yeah.
0: It's just interesting to me because I see, I, I, I see, um, like I was, I was doing some work, uh, before this podcast. And if you, if you like to start diving, like if you just type in women in law enforcement, you come across article upon article upon article that talk that's talking about why we need more women in law enforcement. And a lot of it revolves around this idea that if we have more women in law enforcement, there'll be less use of force incidents. You're smiling. Okay. What do you think about that? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, I've seen art, like I haven't dived into reading all these articles, but those have generally been the headlines like uh, re- reforming law enforcement starts with getting women in law enforcement It'll drive down use of force incidents, that sort of thing. Like, I mean, do you think there's I think anything crazy? To- I
2: mean, like, you know, you responded to stuff with me on the street. Yeah. Do, you th- do you think my presence do you think my presence on a. Daily basis, you know, on a significant basis, quelled things to the point that we weren't using as much force. Do you think that happened did you see that happen no. for you, right? No. No way. And, and
0: and to be honest, I've I've been on calls with some women where um the there's been a sense of I can actually do more and get away with more because yeah. they're they're eyeing up the female and being like, I, this female is not going to be able to deal with right. me. This female is not going to be able to do what needs to be done in order to get me under control. So I've I've been at those types of calls too.
2: Do you remember? Uh, do you remember South Duke Street, Turkey near the Turkey Hill? You remember this happening at all?
3: You got to refresh.
0: Okay, my this
2: a is bit around more. the time that you had to fo- fo- uh, follow that oil spill. Okay. But when you came back to, and you were real sour when you came back yeah, yeah. to the ship. <clears> so So came sour. from the drug
3: unit back to the ship yeah. for like six months. Yeah, or yeah. Four yeah months. You were real
2: ticked okay, off. About uh,
3: he was so pissed. Yeah, he was.
4: Yeah, so he was
2: but um so what happened out there and I'm pretty sure it was you that that had eventually backed me up. So there's a fight by the Turkey Hill on South Duke Street and I arrived on it and I don't think it like nobody was there. Um and you were the second car. And at that point I was just out of the car like I don't know yelling at people, screaming at people, like doing whatever thing. And it was whatever it was done um, it, it, they were kind of moving on or whatever when you arrived. But after you said something to me that was that was very like I took as a big compliment. You said something like, "You you just got out of the car like a bulldog, and they all you puffed your <laughs> chest, and they all left." Like, and and that's what you have to do. Like, right. I mean, to and that was not that you rely upon that, but you ha- there's a little bit of like you have to puff your chest. You have to be willing to like do some hard things. Um and and
3: that's true if you're male or female 100% because if yeah, you roll yeah. out of that car in the middle of a fight like just a like soup okay sandwich. boys like let's stop doing this out of the like, street sir yeah exactly Like you're gonna they're gonna laugh at you first of all right yeah and, and then or beat you up which we all see that video like they play this video at all of these like officer like safety you know, be aware like situations where that female officer is dealing oh, with that gets, guy, like, face and she gets
2: pounded in, That's, and this
3: dude yeah. just mounts her, and he just starts pounding her on the face. traffic stop. Yeah, the traffic it crushes stop crushes my heart every time. I, like literally, I can't watch it anymore because right. it just makes I me can. so angry. Yeah, but and
2: like you probably the same thing for you. you. I've seen that all the way from the academy. Right? Like it's it's like you see it at least it's once a video. year. Like it's <laughs> it's yeah, it's terrible. a thousand years old, but it it's, it's horrible. Terrible.
0: I think, um, but I but but to that point, I've seen like you said. It, it's the it same for it, it's women, men in law enforcement. I've seen men in law enforcement completely get back down, and I'm like, "Yo, we, like now is not the time to get back down. Like we need to get after it with this guy. Like we he needs to know that we're we're here to do business. Like right, it's not, right. it's not, you know, um, yeah. I, I, I yeah. I, again, I just there, there's, I'll be perfectly honest." one of the reasons I haven't had a lot of women on, on the episodes, first of all, I mean, it's a, it's a male dominated, um, you know, profession, but you know, it, there's few women in law enforcement that I have uh, respect for that I feel that can handle themselves, do the job. You know, I've worked, I've worked with some and I've worked with some that, that can't. Yeah, right. Um, and, and, uh, and generally speaking i just think there's so many differences between males and females that males have more of a um you know bent or or ability to do the job better than females again generally um and and there's exceptions to that rule and and so i and i know people are going to be upset with me by saying that but it i i think it just comes down to simple biology the way you know, God created men and women, basically. Like, you know, I just even, even like the emotional aspect of it. I think, you know, one thing Lauren always says to me is, she's like, a woman's mind is like spaghetti; everything's like intertwined. Yeah, <laughs> that's tr-
2: my mind, one hundred percent. Like everything
0: just meshes together; like everything affects everything. And and for men, like we can so easily like put things, compartmentalize them, and put them in boxes. That's why. That's why you generally have like such a uh difficult time uh communicating with your spouse because you're you think like I think like a man, Lauren thinks like a woman. And like sometimes we're talking to each other and at we get to a certain point where we're like, I literally think we're both saying the same thing, but we're actually fighting about it. We're actually having an argument <laughs> over it. It it's just the way uh again, like, you know, how how we're wired, how how things, how things work. And again, I don't think it's a negative thing. And I don't think it's A superiority thing, Um, and I've definitely seen women be able to do things on the job better than men. um, Just as I've seen men be able to do stuff on the job better than men. But I do get concerned with this push that we need to like have more women on the job. Like, I'm not even saying that that's a negative thing. I'm just saying how helpful is that going to be, like in the future? How helpful is it going to be to have more women on the job? Maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe maybe like
2: it just it to me it boils down to no matter who's in that position it's the best person it's the best person for that job like right you know i i don't think you you, i think it's silly to say okay we need you know two females we need two from this demographic we need two from this demographic and two from this demographic that's silly that's not the way you get the best the best person um you know and we're so if you're doing things that way um if you're just targeting females you're you're inevitably lowering your standards that's what you're doing not not that the female is specifically the the lowered standard but if you're only targeting females you're inevitably missing other people that have value to to put their you know right. put their name in the hat or whatever to
0: And to your point you are lowering your standards because we just talked about the mopec standards yeah, right. and they are lower for women and and so like if you go with what you're saying then you are picking the best people for the job you are picking like here here's a jess higgins that can do exactly what her male counterpart can do in the physical fitness test yeah, here or more or yeah or more <laughs> or more so <laughs> which might mean that you're number one and you know i'm number 10 like you know I just think like, there, there's value in having these conversations yeah. without just shutting people down
3: for, for, for having them. But and I, um, think, I think, Anthony, you have to look at the pool that you're given, too. Right. You know what I mean? And sure. I think that's regionally different. So like when, we're, when they're talking about like police reform and like adding more women to the police force, like that may not be a bad thing in certain areas. But like in other areas, it may already be like, like women are doing great. You know what I mean? So like when, when you say things in this general thing, like everything gets so big where right. you kind of forget like, reach, like police departments in like, I mean, in Pennsylvania, there's what, 100,000 police departments, right? Some of them are like three people, you know? So like it depends on where you are in the nation or in the world, even for law, law enforcement in the world. But like, it, like you pick from your pool and you pick the best people from your pool to do the job, right? Yeah, I mean, That's right, what right. every job should be like. You pick your best people. It doesn't matter who you are if you're good for the job like jump in yeah but you know. i think the
0: issue now is that we're trying to change the pool we're like, we're we're like literally making statements like we're interested in hiring uh women we're interested in hiring uh black people we're interested in hiring um hispanic people we're interested in hiring asian people what, whatever it may be i mean you would never say you're interested in hiring white people that would get you burned at the stake but um, whatever whatever you're saying, you're you're like, I'm this is what who we're interested in hiring. Not I'm interested in hiring the absolute best person for this job. Right. The person that can go out there and do the best job possible. If it happens to be a woman, great. If it happens to be a, a a black male, great. If it happens to be a white male, great. Um it instead of turning it into like this political hot potato where you need to meet certain numbers, and then the other thing is like the people that are applying for these jobs, you can't control who's applying, but Police departments are trying to control who's applying, giving more points to people, um, you know, y- you know, even even like, you know, in the military, you get 10 points for being in the military, you get 10 points for living in the jurisdiction, you get 10 points for having a certain color of skin or speaking um, a certain language or speaking or a, a certain that. language. You get 10 points. I-, I don't know if any departments are given points for being a woman now or not. I'm sure there are out there. But, you know, e- you you try to like sweeten the pot and and try to like get you know get better numbers so that you uh fit better in the uh you know woke societal standards you know but um and 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 honestly the people that suffer the most in that are the citizens because they're not getting the best people for the job yeah if you
2: want to give extra points for things you give extra points for things you can change so i can't change the fact that i'm a female zero points you can change the fact that you've, um, you've had some military service. That's something that you can choose to do, right? I think can, that's a great point. You, yeah. can, you can change the fact that you go to school, you go to college. So that's some points. You can change that. You can change the fact that you, that you do learn an extra language, 100%. Right. That, that's some points. So things that you can change and that you can better about yourself, I can see that being worth some points. Some things that, that are just who you are because of who you popped out of, like that's that's not worth changing, right? You know.
0: No, I think I think that is actually a really good point and something I never thought about. I think that's a really excellent point. I make um, good points.
3: When did you come up with that?
2: <laughs> right now, right on now, the spot. Dude, that's unbelievable. <laughs> Jess, that was profound. <laughs> uh, blind squirrel should be expected. my career has been the career of a blind squirrel that occasionally finds a nut. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong that's with that. Not true. That's um, definitely not true.
0: Yeah, I, I would I would disagree with that as well. Um, so overall then, like, again, as a, as a woman in law enforcement, what do you think is the greatest challenge? What has been the greatest challenge for you? And, uh, do you think it's the same challenge that's for other women? Or do you, you know, do you think it's different for every woman? Uh,
2: me personally, I don't think I've, I found it especially okay. cha- challenging being a woman. I think the reason I have not found it cha- being challenging been challenging um, is because of that fact that that I was used to being around it. So like it's sort of just kind of like just morphed into policing. Like it, it just was something that like that made sense to me. Um, and it's kind of I think that I think that I'm probably wired a little bit different than than maybe some other females are. So so things that maybe bothered other females wouldn't necessarily bother me. Um, so I haven't found it challenging. Um, for, for other females, I mean, I don't know. I think, I think that if I had to just like make a guess or whatever, I would say, um, probably the most challenging thing I, I would assume for, for females in general is, um, just like the emotional aspect of like dealing with like the ups and downs of what this job is. Um, I think that's probably just outwardly looking in at other females um, and how they're progressing and how they're like navigating through their careers. I think that would probably be my guess that the, that's probably the most challenging thing.
0: Okay. And can you expand on that at all when you when you talk about handling the emotional ups and downs? Like why why do you think why do you think that in your opinion from the out, you know looking in on it? would be more challenging for for women than men
2: i mean i think that uh, you hit on it to a degree um i think that in general women are wired differently right so i think in general women have a propensity to be um more emotional about the things that are presented to them um and it's most important that you're not emotional in the, the moment of the thing that you're dealing with right If we're if if we uh we're, we're too emotional, um, obviously that could cause problems for our safety or the safety of our partners, whatever. Um, so, but I think that that's, that, that's probably an issue that women struggle with in general, just kind of navigating through that. Um, and, and being able to kind of reconcile that, I guess with, with, with a career in, in law enforcement. It's just hard.
3: Yeah. um, were you gonna say something yeah do you think like looking back and maybe maybe you don't want to answer this but do you think guys like like men on the job like treated you differently or like or like basically just wanted to get in your pants or like what like do you think there was that is there that environment in law enforcement that men like in general they see a woman and want to like in their in their and their quote their environment their like field
2: yeah so that just starting the biggest thing I noticed um was probably like the, the old heads that didn't that immediately you could tell they were not and they shouldn't but they were not going to accept you number one because you're new but number two because you're female there was there was definitely points and and uh, like I I took no offense by it at all it it was what it like these are old school guys so that and was they're the reality. Not gonna, it was what it was and it like it made sense and if i was that old school guy i would have i would have acted in the same way um <laughs> so so like that's probably the first the first thing i noticed um i didn't notice that like you know when i got on the job you know people were like you know itching to like get in my pants or whatever thing like anytime you put men and women together they're they're going to make like bunnies, like that's going to happen. Right. (laughs) Um, but, but like, so like, I mean, that's another challenge, obviously in in law enforcement with putting males and females together, that's what you've got. That's something you've got to realize, I guess, like, like any other place, you got to realize that's going to be a thing. But for the most part, what I saw was, um, the hesitancy to accept a female until she proved, she proved herself, um, that 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 was kind of the biggest thing that i noticed
0: but don't you think that hesitancy was there with brand new oh guys? yeah 100 percent. like i felt that when i got hired
2: oh yeah and uh, i think that maybe um, to a
0: different degree with women
2: i and i didn't notice that across the board i would pick like probably two or three people um that i specifically knew that it that it was not only because i was new but because i was a female And i'll tell you one of one of the people that i'm thinking of. Um, after he retired like talked about like how you know working with me like he he always knew i had his had his back and he had my back and and all that and so it was a point of like you just had to work a little harder like it was what it it was and like i would i wouldn't fault the guy for for his decision in that like it made sense
3: yeah what would you say to a guy who like so, so here here's what i'll say Whenever when when you were working with um SEU, when you were going undercover and we would put you out there, or even now, like if we go out together or if I send you out as an undercover, like like I'm more stressed when you're out or when you're with me than I am putting Anthony out as an undercover or being with him. And what do you like, what do you think about that? Because that's like in my head. Not because I don't think you can do, do the job, but I like if Anthony gets hurt, like he gets hurt, but like it, it's <laughs> thanks, almost – Thanks, Gary. Yeah. But like it's if great. a woman gets hurt like around me, like as a man, that makes me feel a certain way. Yeah. So like it's like this protective like weird it, – maybe it's natural. Maybe it's not natural. Maybe it's because I'm – You're a chauvinist. Am, chauvinist. Maybe. Patriarchy. Maybe. It could be all of those things. I don't think that's the case. But like right. does that bother you that me telling you that, hey – like when I put you out as an undercover or when I, when, I put a, when I put a wire on you or even when we go out and we're going you know, to go grab a dude, like I, my mind is more concerned that you don't get hurt. No, even knowing that you're, you can be the hell out of somebody, like what does that make you feel or how does that, what do you think about that or how do you respond to that?
2: Um, so I think that that's, that that's something I expect of you, you personally. Like not people in generally, but I expect that that would be a response for you because like, does it offend you? No, like because I know that's like I I know that your that your intention is is always good, and I know that what you personally believe and how you feel doesn't change like that. You know, like that I can do my job, right? Like you know what I mean. Like I would hope the only thing like that's even remote. Like I would hope that you focusing on me wouldn't cause you not to focus on what you needed to focus on. Right. Like that would be the only thing I would be worried about. Right. Like, but, Hey, mind like, your business. But but that shit to, yeah, I, I can handle my, yeah, hair. look right. that way. You're covering yeah. that hey, fucking idiot. window, dude.
3: It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think what Gary, what you're saying is different than
3: being like, I wouldn't put you out there because I don't think you could do
0: it. No, hundred percent. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, not yeah. it's just, sure. it's just like, yeah. a, I
3: asked Jess to come on interviews with me over like multiple people because right. I know she's going to do a better job. And, right, And like, I, like, it's just, it, it is what it is. But like, I think what you're just
2: talking about. But if you, you nag right? them enough, they'll just tell you what you want. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nag
3: them like a woman does. <laughs> right,
0: right? Just nag them. But I think, I think, uh, you know, what you're talking about, Gary, is this like this innate, you know, thing we have, or I, I think we should have it in it as, as men to, you know, protect women, just as we, you know, we all sitting around the table have this innate, Desire to protect children, or, or you know, yeah. I mean, it again. It's not a negative, a negative thing. Um, but I, I do think there are some women on the job who view it as a negative thing. That like, you know, and also can't take. So like, for me as a supervisor, I always try to cr- create, um, treat. My, the women that were, you know, my subordinates the same as I treated my men. And that like really backfired on me I a lot. I think
2: that does, Like, I'm, I'm
0: <laughs> it really backfired on me a lot. And, I, and I know, I, I know there are women out there who have worked for me who think certain things about me and think I am a certain way. And that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. But I'm like, so you how do you realize
2: like what, what, what backfired for you? Like, what was, what cause like the problem.
0: simply simply like talking to them as I would a male officer, asking questions, holding accountable, just as I would any uh you know and and I'm sure their argument would be like no you were you were you were trying to hold us more accountable or you were treating us differently, or you were coming after us harder in my opinion, i I never did i I, I just tried to uh, treat the people under you know my command as a sergeant. Again, I was only a sergeant. Um, so I really didn't have that much, uh, uh, power. Um, but I tried to treat like all the people on my shift who worked for me the same. And I, I felt like towards the, towards the end of my career, I felt like I was had to do it differently. Like I had to like treat women like under my command differently. Like I couldn't interact with them the same way talk to them the same way and again i'm not talking like in a disrespectful way i i didn't call you know if i needed to talk to a guy about something like an officer a male officer about something it wasn't like i was like deriding them or or like calling them names or you know um i mean i thought i was a pretty fair sergeant but if you would talk to some of the women who worked for me they would tell you absolutely i wasn't a fair sergeant that i was out to get them um
2: So that's a concern I have, um, and because I think that that you're not the the only one. If I had to guess, I would say you're not the only one as a supervisor that has experienced that, and that's a problem. Like to the degree that I think that some supervisors are concerned with approaching a problem with a female, where they where they would approach that problem or address that problem with a male, they will not address it with a female for the the simple fact that they're worried about the response that's a problem that's a huge problem like and and that's that's not only an officer problem right but more so it's a supervisor problem cuz as a True. supervisor you you're doing like you're doing your job if you're supervising everybody under, under your command with the same like you like you were trying right. to do across the board you're treating everybody the same but as soon as you Back down because you're worried that uh, that whoever it is, whether it's a female, whether it's a dude, whether you know whatever is going to you know be treat you some type type of way, have some sort of problem. You know, as soon as you back down, then we're back to the the changing the standards, right? Right. We're, We're right back there,
0: right? And I think I think there are some women on the job who do try to hold that over. Their supervisors hold that like, hey, if you if you hold me to this level, then I will I will accuse you of being a sexist or um, some level of harassment or something like that. Um, and I was I I mean I would like to think that I never backed off um, because of that feeling. That I know
2: I, you. I don't think you backed off. No. Like I, if I had to guess, I'd I would say I, you pro- I didn't. But I was I was,
0: I was I was intimately aware that that was a possibility. Of of that kind of charge being leveled against me for doing my job as a supervisor, um, because that gets
3: looked at seriously as it should. But true. like people manipulate circumstances for their own yeah like well being, right? Their own, yeah, for the benefit, right? Yeah, and you could say that not just That's true of everybody, could, yeah.
0: You could yeah. say that for everybody. You could say you know, um, you know, if if I had a supervisor who uh, I felt you know was against guys that had their head shaved, like you know, what whatever it may be, right, like. Right. You know, you can, there are people out there that will use it to their advantage. So I don't think that's a, just a, a, a female only thing. I think that's just across the board, but. But that gets looked at stronger
3: nowadays. Oh yeah. Because of the the whole Me Too
0: movement, like, like the whole sexism, the patriarchy, chauvinist, like all these things that are such hot topic issues
3: right now that if, um, if you're a male, like. Unless you're Johnny Depp, go Captain Jack.
0: Yeah. Yeah
2: team 100 dude
3: i de- de- did de- I didn't you watch, watch pirates of I, caribbean like the other i watched
0: night? pirates of caribbean but i don't watch i didn't watch I didn't any watch of that trial I like either. i don't know honestly i, I don't didn't know watch it but i
2: did I, I did watch some of the, the the highlights the highlights and i loved it yeah <laughs> there was some
0: crazy stuff in that thing like, the only thing i know about that whole case is poop in the bed yeah yeah that's yeah, like course. the thing
2: I don't know. That who, is the highlight.
0: I don't know whose highlight. poop it was, or who was being Hers. accused
3: of pooping. Oh her my poop. word,
0: that's That makes disgusting. it
2: even worse, right?
3: Yeah, she pooped in the bed. Ugh. So gross. How do, that's gross. We got man.
0: That we was. On me. That went hey, off. That was on. That that's was 100% on me. I apologize. <laughs> so no, I, I, I mean, I really appreciate you being just forthright, Jess, and talking about it. I mean, I think it's an uncomfortable topic for a lot of people to talk about
3: because. You know, yeah. Well, okay. let me ask you this, Jess. What do you think, like a thing that men in in our field of work could do better for women? Oh. Man, Gary, you got wow. good questions, dude. I'm good at asking questions. This is what I do for that's a living. That's
2: actually a really que- a, that's a, that's a lunchroom question. Yeah. you know when you formulate your practice. Oh man, questions. I go gonzo too. Yeah, that's a Lunch. lunchroom question yeah. right there. Um, it's my thing. Dude, I mean, like, what you could, what I would say is, like, to treat us like you treat everybody else, to just treat us like you treat everybody else. I don't know that that's that's a response you're going to get from females right now. That's my opinion. Yeah. The
3: hard part about that is, like, we've been, all of us have been cops for a long time. The way that cops treat cops, I think is hilarious, and I love the environment. Oh, dude, I know. The problem is, if somebody's talks to HR or anybody about how cops talk to each other, talk to each other, you're done.
0: And if a woman
3: talks about it, you're really done. Right. Right. I mean, like, am I wrong, Jess? I know.
2: So I, I think I'm, I probably say more fucked up things on a daily basis. I a hundred
3: percent agree with that.
0: (laughs) But, (laughs) but listen, in all honesty, things you've heard, People say on the job, the dark humor, comments thrown back and forth. Do you, do, you could probably go right now and get a settlement.
2: No way. Cause like you, you would go and look at what I said and you would oh, be for like, sure. nah, no, no,
0: that, that would be, that would be thrown, thrown back in your face. But what, it, but what, what well, I'm saying is like,
2: I, I, I mean, I guess you would, ha- you would have a complaint. You would have a complaint. Right. Um, But. It, it, I don't know. It's the job we work. Like, right. it, like.
3: Do you think it would be help? Maybe it's hard, but do you think, um, like women who are offended with the way that men speak in any profession? I guess, but like especially with the police world, because you've been in it a long time. If they're offended, I just smacked my lips. I'm sorry, Anthony.
2: <laughs> Hopefully, didn't pick it up. Hey, maybe it's just say you're offended. Say, hey. Don't yeah, say like shit you anymore. think that
3: probably would like, fix a lot of problems. I think problems.
2: putting on some big girl pants and saying, "Hey, I, don't say this shit anymore." I always wonder that. Yeah. Or, or how about you don't play into it, right? Because yeah. like the other thing is, mm. you you'll deal with a female that's that's ready to to be right there and with the guys, like banter with until the guys. something is said, like that for whatever reason she takes offense to. Guess what? You can't have it both ways. If you don't want to, if you don't want to have the, you know, like the police talk or the police jargon, then don't, don't do it. But if you're going to be involved in it, like you've got to understand that you're going to.
3: Yeah. And I've been along and I've been around enough to know that, like if someone's not like involved or doesn't want to be involved in the banter that police officers do and like reality check, like cops, cops treat each other pretty terribly. Like we have a blast together. Like it's fun. Yeah, you know you're I mean? making fun of the each dark other. Dark humor. Like, it's yeah. we're making fun of each other. Like it's the it's the culture of policing, and I think it's a great thing. It's in the military. I mean, I was in the military. It's in the military. It's it's a good thing. It builds camaraderie. But if someone doesn't want involved in it, generally, the banter stops when that person's in the room, or when it's like not appropriate. The banter stops. You know what I mean? And like. If those who are bantering realize or understand or know, not, not, not understand, if they know that someone's offended or they don't want to be involved in the banter, they stop. Yeah. Like cops aren't idiots. Right. You know, like, I guess we, we are idiots. But like- No, we're not. We, we understand the reality that like it's, it's a tough job and like the environment that we are currently in, like you could be done with one complaint. Like your career yeah. taken away, your pension gone in one complaint. So like we, we get the fact that like sometimes you have to stop the banter yeah. or the or the messing around with each other or the statements, the jokes, the dark humor that that literally like helps us deal with the fact that people are getting shot and killed or raped, kids getting abused. Dude, if
2: if we didn't so I mean just think about it, our unit alone. Like what we deal with and I'm not saying like what we deal with is like any harder or whatever than anybody else but just what we deal with specifically if we didn't have that outlet we would be fucked (laughs) it's honestly like if we did not have like that that like that's a serious statement like if we didn't have that outlet
3: like we'd be all suicidal like like, in we would be
2: like really messed up like yeah we're already messed
0: up but yeah, like, well, yeah but they
2: were up. messed up and funny now like that's good they, right, but they
0: right. but you're right the humor releases i mean i think they've done studies on this humor releases certain endorphins or certain things into your brain and so like the dark humor does help you process through it like you know if if you were always like somber and you know yeah, you're right you're absolutely right like
3: yeah you know yeah i just wish like the the Like, policing would just be, like, it's the the old statement, like, let's just all get along. Like, it's, we're all trying to do the same thing. Like, let's do our job. Like, let's help each other out. Let's, like, get better as people, as cops, as detectives. Like, let's just get better. And let's get rid of those who shouldn't be. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. And if you don't want to be a cop, like, find a different job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if you realize that this isn't for you, go find another job. If Right. If yeah. you can't change or you can't adapt, you can't like toughen up. You're gonna get made fun of if, if you're a cop. Yeah, you're gonna get made fun of. Yeah, and somebody's and, and, gonna offend you. And the bottom line is, like,
0: if you're if you're getting made fun of, if you are in the middle of banter, dark humor, um, you know, if you're just getting housed, and I've been there.
3: Like, oh yeah. You've taken some heat.
0: Oh, I've taken some heat, like being, being <laughs> there on, especially early on in my career. And then being like the new guy over in SEU, like I was like the punching bag for like a whole year. You know what? Like if you, if you can't handle that, that is nothing compared to
3: what you may handle on the street. Nothing. Right. Yeah. You, you won't be able to handle getting punched in the face. You won't get called whatever
0: you get somebody called calling
2: you some or someone trying thing. to kill right. you. <laughs> right. I would
0: be amazed at talking to people and, and they'd be like losing their minds over a conversation. Me asking questions, like losing their minds. And I'm like, what, what are you going to do if someone's trying to kill you? I'm asking you a question. I'm asking you a question. Yeah, answer the question. <laughs> right. Like, what are you yeah. going to do if someone's trying to kill you? I mean, it's a valid, that's a valid question. What are you going to do? Because right now you're having a meltdown because I'm asking you a question. So anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Now, good conversation. Gary, do you have any other questions? Man, I I mean, I could keep going, but like, I think we we covered a lot. Yeah, we did cover a lot. And I think, I think, um, I think it's just good, like. I mean, it's, it's one thing for you and me to have this conversation. Like, in Gary. reality,
3: like, Jess is, ho- like, for everybody listening, Jess is holding her own with two, like, like, white men who are bald. Like, she's holding her own with us. Yeah.
0: And, yeah, and, and, her, and, and her husband's in the
2: room. Yeah. I kind of forgot he was here. <laughs> he's probably asleep. No, he's not. He's he just smiled at okay. me. <laughs> like
3: I see her own because that's, see, what, that's, what, that's what female cops are able to do. Right. If, if you're a female cop, and you're doing the job of a female cop, like, you can hold your own. Like, we're both aggressive guys. You're an aggressive female. You need to
2: be, a a, a, And like, you're you're doing the job of,
3: you're doing as good and better than most, like, most cops. And like...
2: Blind squirrel, Gary. Yeah,
3: blind squirrel. squirrel, it could be blind squirrel.
2: And if you can't,
3: get out.
0: Yeah. Like yeah. honestly, if
3: you can't, if you
0: can't, and there's do no th-
2: shame in saying, you know what, this this isn't job for me. isn't for it's me. It's not for me. There or know no your shame limitations, right? They're, like,
3: know that hey, I'm not going to be the aggressive person, but I can take a lot of reports. You know what I mean? That goes a long but way. But listen, with that's guys. another
2: problem though, because Oh, well, now we're going down. I like I'm it. just saying, like, let's hear it. You can't. That I think that's. I'm not saying it's only a female problem, but I'm saying you look at somebody and say. Hey, they're writing a great report. Let's let's move them here. Let's move them there. You know what? No. You need to be well rounded as a patrol cop before you m- move anywhere else. You need to be able to grab an arm, grab a leg, get into a fight. Yeah. You know, handle a scene, all of that stuff before you move on anywhere else. Like, and uh, like, I get it. Like, you know, if if it's that guy that can only take accidents, all right, let him take some accidents. But if it's somebody that writes a good report and we're gonna move him on somewhere else. Because they can write a re- good report, no, like that's that's wrong. That shouldn't yeah. happen. You should. Th- that's you know, just like we shouldn't hire people because they're a female or because they're this person or that person. We shouldn't promote people or move people to a different to a different job that you know may be perceived as better because they can simply write a great. So you're saying because
3: detective work involves more than just like writing reports, like moving someone who's not like an aggressive police officer who's not willing to like get in the grab a leg, grab an arm if it's needed. They shouldn't just move there to detectives because they can't do that. Yeah. I I don't like that. I I don't
2: like that, Gary. Yeah.
0: I
3: like it. Yeah. I agree with you.
0: And, and and that's across the board.
3: And like, in reality, you're going to have male cops. You're going to have female cops. You're going to have black cops. You're going to have Asian cops who aren't good at fighting. Right. Not everybody's a good fighter, but like they may be able to take a great report. And like, but are they w- and, and are they th-
0: willing to like right. are, that's the thing yeah, that, are they that's willing the difference.
2: to because I can I am I going to hold my own against a 300 b- pound man the same as you? I'm not. Right. I'm not. That's not, that's fact. I'm know. not going I mean, to. I'm probably not going to. Right. But I'm not going to I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in when we're fighting him. I'm going to be right there with right. You. And that's the difference. Like you might not be the best. You might, might not be the strongest, but, you're gonna try. but the fact that you gonna... give a shit and you try is the difference. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That
3: should be the mentality of all cops. All cops. I'm going to do the best thing I can at that moment. No I'm gonna, matter what, right. I'm going to do the best that I can in that moment all the time. If Whatever you're...
2: my mission is at that moment, I'm doing it. Whether it's take a report, whether it's get in the fight, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know,
3: Talk to a kid. Fucking hug a kid. block a
2: street, dude. Like yeah. what? Hug a kid. Whatever right. it is. Like if you're gonna do the best, the best that you can in that moment, then, then yeah, yeah you should move. Right. On. Like, I mean, wouldn't the
3: world, like, the world would just be a different place if that was reality. Like, not only poli- like the policing world for sure would just be a better place for everybody, and the community, if that was the reality. But the reality
0: bad. is right now, the the. The politics they don't want the police to do their best job.
3: That's what that's the problem. Yeah. They they don't want the... Or we're confused about what the mission is. Right. Which is kind of like what this oh, whole podcast, what your whole podcast yes. gets you going. I gotta say, yeah. I gotta I <laughs> Gary, should, Gary knows he's I like. I shouldn't have segued me. there because <laughs> I get real mad. Although this is the one that we're supposed to be talking about that. So No, no that, I I mean it's Jess, uh, I'm super glad you came on. I, I yeah. literally like when Anthony said, Hey, I'm gonna try to get Jess on, I go, She ain't coming on, dude. Like I don't know what to tell you, she ain't coming on. <laughs> Like she's like she's a private uh,
0: private person. You didn't say that though, because you're like you're always positive. You're like ah, you know she might. It's the politician in me. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. But like you guys worked it together though. Oh, oh, Oh,
0: I'll I'll tell you. I was
2: like, I'm like, did we bully you because
3: we're white men? No, no, you pulled you and we like. (laughs)
2: No, you like cowered that's, that's at my feet. That's a really
3: feet. good question,
0: Gary. You
2: you cowered at my feet and gave me positive affirmations, which is what um, women want. You so knew, we knew exactly because Gary to already manipulate. knew this because he I said positive uh, affirmations are my game. Like you know, tell me right. I'm doing a good job, and we're all there. So then then Anthony sending me nice emails. I'm like, this shit isn't Anthony. This is not Anthony at all. <laughs> and so I'm getting like real nice emails and I respect you as a female cop and blah blah blah. I'm like, okay. And then and then Gary tells me the other day he's like yeah i think i think anthony is like uh i think he's like real intimidated by you i'm like i like that but i know he's fucking he's hyping <laughs> me up for this fucking thing <laughs> it was like the whole
0: thing i told oh, from it was- the very beginning when i asked gary i'm like do you think jess would come on and, and he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, I think she might come on. I think we're, we're going to have to do a little work. I'm like, all right, we'll start working on her. Because I knew. Yeah.
2: So, you know, I knew you were working on me. I just want right. you to know that. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, that's,
3: that's. I don't think you could have picked a first. Like, like a better first female officer to get on here or just. A, a, yeah. A great cop to begin with. Yeah. No, right. I I, I, positive, I just.
2: Positive affirmations. Yeah. But like, bl- bl- I mean, I mean, it. like.
3: We work together. World, right? I'm going to make fun of you next time I see you anyway. Right. Work, but. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Now. And I'll just probably be a jerk. Hey, again did I ever tell you, you that so.
3: Jess. So this is this is why female cops are much needed in, in the world. I was in a real dark place in like 2020 and 21. Was that about right, Jess?
2: That was a rough time. For are me. you out
3: of the dark place, Gary?
2: I think so. I think he's out of the hole. Jess All
3: got right. me a hamster. It's a therapy hamster. <laughs> hey. And I'm, like this hamster like he made me happy for a while but he is lazy.
2: He's I, super lazy now. But he's probably about
3: to die. I heard he about really the I I've heard about the therapy hamster. But like she thought enough about the fact that I was in a dark place like no, I was not was not. It brought him
2: well. it brought him back for a bit.
3: I was super happy. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean now, now I not care about You the still hamster, have this but. hamster up in your
3: office, right? Hey. We can't talk about
0: that. We
2: can't talk about that. But hypothetically, like, it warmed. I don't warmed, think HR would it, like the listen, fact that we have it enhanced. Uh, okay, here's I'll what cut they that would out. like. I'll cut that out. It, it warmed the heart of yeah. a victim recently. So can I keep this in or can <laughs> I, like, yeah, yeah, take <laughs> it out? Take the biting right, part Jess, out. <laughs> no, 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 I yeah, don't care.
3: It is what it is. Like, is
0: this going to get, is this going to become a thing? No. no. Like, hey, hey, if I keep this Our bosses know about it. That's on them, okay. not us. That's failure Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's failure Check the buses right under the bus. they perfect. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. we do. interviews?
3: Blame it on the blame it on the bosses. All right. Well, yeah, great.
0: So so you the for the last word. I know. That's uh, what I'm oh, getting ready to do. I'm, I'm trying sorry. to I'm trying to segue into mean, it, but I keep getting interrupted by Gary. It's what I do, man. You know, man, you, that's you invited pressure.
2: me. Last word.
0: Yeah, the final word. It's it's what I'm doing now. Final word. You can
2: talk detective. to male cops,
3: you can talk to female cops, you can talk to you can just, all the cops, okay. you can talk about you can, you talk can to President Joe Biden. You can say whatever you want.
2: Okay. So, final
0: word, Detective Jess Higgins.
2: Yeah. To do this job, you you've got to be hard. You've got to be willing to be aggressive when you need to be aggressive, um, and to be understanding until you have the point where you where you can't be that anymore. Right. Um, You need to, um, as a female specifically. I think you need to understand that that you're working with men, like that's that's who you're working around, um, and you need to use the the positives about you um, for the benefit of whoever you're working with, with the team you're working with, or whatever. Um, but you but you also need to make sure that you're checking yourself and not using um, your your status as a female um, for your benefit. Um, I think that's probably the most um degrading thing that that females could do for other females uh, is use that status to get them somewhere else um get them to a better place um and and ultimately just for doing this job for anybody don't take yourself too serious we're all a little bit stupid we all make mistakes um you know it's whatever have fun awesome
0: thanks jess good stuff Every single episode, I have guests willing to come on this podcast, talk about their careers, and deal with my silly questions. And Jess did just that for this episode, and I really appreciate her willingness to do that. Uh, it, it's not lost on me that this episode got pretty gritty. That conversation got pretty gritty at times. But here on Diagnostic Cops Calling, I'm committed to letting police officers have a seat at my podcast table and tell their story in their own words. Uh, Because when they get a chance to speak freely, you can get a small glimpse into what they deal with daily and some of the things they've gone through and experienced. They have hardly any place to speak freely. Our culture, often in virtue-singling ways, clamors to listen to everyone and try to understand, uh, but police officers are generally not included in that group. People who have literally no idea how to do the job, who have no desire to do the job, uh, will assign motives and blame to the police with little to no context or understanding, and many don't care to understand. And that's why I appreciate every single one of you who listen to this podcast uh, every single episode. Uh, When as a culture, we vilify the people we entrust to help us and seek to understand and appease those that hurt others, we will reap some really bad stuff. And, And that's what's happening in this country right now. And I appreciated Jess coming on and telling some of her story and opinions. And I appreciate you for listening and giving her and all my guests a seat at the table to talk. Uh, It means much to me, and it means much to them. As we talked about, police work needs the right people. Uh, Regardless of color, sex, ethnicity, the job needs the right people to do it. And on every single episode, I pick an officer who was the absolute right person uh, for the job. An officer who possesses what was needed to... Cue the dip. That's right, it's cue the dip, a.k.a. kicking up the dust in pursuit. And this episode's winner is Colorado's Lakewood Police Department agent Ashley Ferris, who confronted and killed a murderer of five people. Here are the details. Uh, The suspect had engaged in a killing spree in two two cities on December 27, 2021. The suspect was an author, probably not a very good author, but an author of three racist and misogynistic books that describe similar killings. When agent Ashley Ferris confronted the suspect, he had already killed five people and attempted to kill others when Agent Ferris came across the suspect he was wearing a police vest and she she initially thought he was from another agency or a security guard. She actually talked to him but felt like something wasn't quite right. The suspect was loading a magazine and her gut instinct was kicking in that the suspect was actually the bad guy whom she was looking for. The suspect then made a quick move with his right hand and Ferris blocked him, backed up, drew a duty weapon, telling him, quote, don't do this. He refused to stop his assault of action and stated, I'll show you what I'll do, um, as he drew a handgun from his jacket. Um, The suspect shot Agent Ferris in the abdomen, which exited her back. As she fell, she shot the suspect and killed him. The bullet fired from the suspect damaged her uh, sciatic nerve and left her temporarily paralyzed in her right leg. She has endured two surgeries uh, and hundreds of hours of therapy, having to relearn how to walk. Nerve pain in her leg makes it feel like she's has constant sunburn, uh, and it does go numb at times. Here's a news clip from CBS Denver about Agent Ferris and this story.
4: And we start tonight by introducing you to a hero. Her story, certainly a tough one to hear. Agent Ashley Ferris shares with us how she stopped a killer shortly after Christmas. That's when a gunman terrorized the Denver area, shooting and killing five people. Started at a tattoo shop on Broadway, stretching through Denver. His final victim was an employee of a hotel in Lakewood. That is where Agent Ferris comes in. Dylan Thomas joins us live with this top story tonight. And Dylan, she told you that she remembers the exact moment that she encountered that gunman.
5: Karen, Agent Ferris tells us that she knew about those other area tattoo parlor shootings, and she followed a hunch to come right here to another nearby tattoo parlor. And it was there where she saw the gunman turn the corner. He was loading a magazine with bullets. She briefly uh, talked with him, and that's when her life changed forever.
4: There was a tattoo shop to the north of me that I thought maybe he could be headed towards. Sure enough, he walked up to me.
5: Five months after the multi-city shooting spree, Lakewood Police Agent Ashley Ferris remembers the day she stopped the gunman like it was yesterday.
4: He was wearing a police vest and loading magazines, so I wasn't sure if he was from another agency.
5: She recalls briefly talking with the suspect before he pulled a gun.
4: And I told him, don't do this. And he said, I'll show you what I'll do. And then we were engaged in a gunfight.
5: Ferris believes she was hit first. She fell to the ground, her right leg paralyzed. But that's when instinct kicked in.
4: I didn't have to do much thinking. It was all very automatic.
5: Ferris returned fire, killing the gunman.
4: He made the choice to fire his gun at me, and he sealed his fate that way. When I hit him, he fell. Um, And I remember thinking, you know, okay, I've got him. He's down.
5: On Wednesday, Ferris was recognized for her bravery and quick action. But she says she's more thankful for the actions of the officers who came to her rescue.
4: Hands down, hardest part of this, has been not being with my friends. Um, My friends are the ones who pulled me out of there. Thinking about that even right now, I still get goosebumps because it was hard for me to believe that I was the officer down.
5: Down for the moment, but not for a long time. The great news is that Agent Ferris tells us she's already able to walk around without a limp or without the need for a cane or a walker. And once she regains her ability to be able to run, she says she's looking forward to getting back out on patrol. Reporting live, Dylan Thomas covering Colorado First.
4: Just incredible. Dylan, thank you.
0: Agent Ferris is currently on desk duty and still recovering, but she will be returning to full patrol duties as soon as she is able to run. Diakonasa Cops Calling podcast salutes Agent Ferris for stopping the suspect's killing spree. She was at the right place at the right time and was able to operate through unbelievable stress to take down a murderer who would have killed more people had she not done what she was called to do in that moment. In the end, Agent Ferris was the right person for the job. And uh, in that moment, she was this episode's cue the dip standout. Jess and Gary and I talked about that in our conversation, finding and hiring the best people, into the police officer position, as I stated before. We need the right people with the right skills and the right jobs to do the best possible job. We expect that when we seek medical help or flying an airplane. We expect the best person is doing that job. In an imperfect world, God uses imperfect people. That shouldn't cause us to throw our hands up and quit. Instead, it should cause us to hire and promote the best people we can find in law enforcement, understanding they will not be perfect. And I think that's really the pinch point because the profession is at times failing to hire the best person for the mission and instead changing the mission. If you're a police depart- if your police department's mission or the prosecutor's office mission is appeasement, softness on crime, social work, well, you, you are not going to hire the best people for the job of enforcing the law. You're going to hire the best people to reform the mission. It's not working. Case in point is who people are voting into DA positions in major cities across the U.S., as we talked about at the beginning of this episode. They're voting in the best activists, but not the best prosecutors. And it is heaping misery on the law-abiding citizens in these areas. And it really should be no surprise to us. We live in a culture that hates God and clamors to obtain perfection uh, on on their own ability and merit, looking to people and quote-unquote reform systems to bring about perfection perfection that will never be attained. Our hearts are so quick to operate on a human standard and not a godly one. We flee from the one who is actually perfect and who has given us a book that can actually move us in a good direction. We are quick to do what Romans 1.21-22 talks about. It says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks, but they became futile in their reasonings, and their senseless hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Man, isn't that true today? This is where we're at. People who say they know God, but reason without his word. Who reason on their own understanding. Some who acknowledge God, but deny he knows best and reason their way into foolishness. Is that not true about where we currently find ourselves? People who ask the age-old question, does God really say? It's as old as the Garden of Eden when Satan tempted Eve in Genesis 3. Did God really say you can't eat the fruit from this tree, is what Satan says? Eve's reply is, yes, God did say that, and he also told us if we eat from it or touch it, it will bring death. But in that moment, Adam and Eve still decided they knew better than God, and they ate. Did God really say? A statement that reverberates through our world even now. Those who don't believe and who say in their hearts, does God really say? and then do as they do as they want and as they believe, relying on human wisdom instead of godly wisdom. Does God really say that my sin purchases death for me? It does, in Romans 6.23. My sin, any sin. Does God really say that hatred of another is as serious as murder and deserves hell? He does. In Matthew 5.21-22, he says, You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not murder. And whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be answerable to the supreme court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And 1 John 3.15 says, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life remaining in him. Pretty sobering. Does God really say that we can't use the Lord's name in vain? He does. Check out the Ten Commandments. We should not be using the Lord's name as a byword. Does God really say that lying, greed, and gossip are sin? He does in Ephesians 5. Does God really say we should not engage in filthy talk and vulgar joking? Again, he does in Ephesians 5.4. Does God really say that even if I look at another woman with lust, I've committed adultery? Yeah, Matthew 5, 27-28, where he says, You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Does God really say that sex outside of marriage between one man and one woman is sin? He does. Hebrews 13, 4, says marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. 1 Corinthians 7.2 says, But because of sexual immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. Did God really create two genders? This is a question in our culture right now. He does. Mark 10.6-9, But from the beginning of creation, God created them male and female, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no person is to separate. Does God really say that homosexuality is a sin? He does. In Romans 1:18 through 18-32, he lays out how the sin of homosexuality and many other sins are engaged in by those who are intent on doing wicked and suppressing the truth of God. It's a pretty bleak outlook. This, light, this list shines a light on my own sin. It shines a light on all of our sin. God continues to withhold the full force of his wrath against our sin, and yet we can easily throw it in his face. Playing, the, playing this game with sin, we, we say, look, I operate as I please, and, and God does nothing. He isn't angry with me. I'm a good person. I'm not his enemy. Does God really say that I'm his enemy? We say, look at these good works over here that I do. Does God really say that my good works, these righteous acts I did, are like filthy menstrual rags? He does in Isaiah 64, 6 to 7, where it says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our unrighteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our wrongdoings like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have surrendered us to the power of our wrongdoings. The original Hebrew for that filthy garment line meant garments of menstruation. Gives us a new outlook on our supposed good works. And it gets worse. Not only do we not recognize that our good works are actual filth, on the back end, we attempt to litigate our sin into something else, something less. Did God really say turns into us saying, well, maybe it is a sin, but it's excused because it's actually a symptom. A symptom of my childhood, perhaps. This sin here, maybe it's serious, but what about the sin committed against me? The sin committed against me was horrible, and that possibly drives my symptoms right now instead of my own sin. If you saw the way I grew up and the things I endured, then you'd understand my own sinful acts. If you endured the sin I endured by another, then you would understand my own sin. It's not really a sin, it's a symptom. It's a symptom of my pain, my suffering, my baggage. And for sure, as a Christian, I need to be willing to show empathy, kindness, and care for the pain suffered and the sin committed against others. But sin committed against us does not excuse our own sin. We should not rename our sin something else because of sin we've endured. For God does really say in Romans 1, 19-20, Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made so that they are without excuse. And he does also really say in Romans fourteen, ten to twelve, but as for you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you as well, why do you regard your brother or sister with contempt? For we will all appear before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, to me every knee will bow. And every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And so it is that all of us will be called to account. And we quickly realize that our sin is laid out plainly in front of us. You go back and you listen to that list of God. Does God really say our sin is laid out in front of us? The sin we are seeing in our world is laid out plainly in front of us. And yet we are without excuse because we have a book the Bible. We are without excuse because we know a good thing when we see it, and we can know that all good originates with our maker. We are without excuse because we see the beauty of his creation, which can only point to his eternal power and divine nature. And since we are without excuse, and since we will all give an account, what options do we have for exoneration? We can try to empty the gospel of its power by downplaying sin to a symptom, or doing more good works. Or we can simply go full board rebellion and say, God doesn't really say that. He doesn't say that. Or we can confess and believe in Jesus, the one who takes away the sins of the world. The one who imputes or ascribes his righteousness to us if we confess and believe and say, God really does say, and then follow his word through the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. It takes us recognizing that we are not perfect and we cannot keep from sinning. And that we can't keep the law, but that Jesus did that for us. Repentance and belief, knowing that Jesus, the Son of God, born of a virgin, came to this earth around 2,000 years ago, lived a perfect life, being fully man and fully God, died on a cross for our sins, taking the full wrath of God for our sins, the wrath that we deserve for our sins. Jesus took on our behalf so that we can be called righteous. And then he rose three days later, conquering sin and death and providing the only way to be right in relationship with God. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything he has done. And right now he sits at the right hand of God the Father to judge the living and the dead. And one day we will be called to account. And if you are a brother or sister Christian with me, we will only be able to claim one thing and it won't start with I. It will simply be Jesus. In the words of a famous hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. If you are not a brother or sister Christian with me, you will have no excuse. You can claim your good works and your treatment of others. Menstrual rags, filth, they will mean nothing in that moment. You can claim your knowledge and your belief that there is one God. And the response will be, even the demons believe that. We see that in James 2.19. In that moment, we will all bow our knees. Some will bow in worship, claiming the finished work of Jesus Christ to their account. Some will bow to ask for mercy, citing excuses and begging for another chance. But it will be too late. Called to account without excuse. But yet the mercy of God is great. He withholds his holy wrath. He continues to hold it back. He continues to give the opportunity and chance for you to hear, to confess, and to believe. We cry out at all the evil we see around us. I cry out about it. On every episode, I cry out about it. How can God allow this? But we fail to understand the total wrath, the total destruction, the total death our sin demands in the light of God's holiness. I fail to recognize it in my own life. If we did, we would cry out and thank God for his ongoing slowness to anger and his mercy and his patience with us, and we would bow our knee to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, accepting his son Jesus as our Savior. That's what we would do. God's law and what he says points us to our need for his son. He is the one who kicked up the dust on our behalf by hanging on a cross. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, kick up the dust after that this week, regardless of what you do. Regardless of whether you wear a badge or support those who do, kick up the dust after Jesus Christ, the Lord.